Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Strevens. Joining me on the show this evening, a real honor and a privilege, it was Mr. James Marsh. Uh, Mr. Marsh, his autobiography or his memoir, Know-It-All, Finding the Impossible Country, will be available uh, in print and audio form in April of next year. Uh, it chronicles a life from an abusive and, and troubling childhood to, to becoming and holding what some called the best job in the country at one time. That job was editor-in-chief of the Canadian Encyclopedia. Uh, from its inception in 1980 until his retirement in 2013. Uh, in that time, they published uh, three print volumes and then went online as the digital revolution took hold. Um, the Canadian Encyclopedia is perhaps the forgotten chapter in Edmonton's history. It was published under uh, Hertig Publishers, run by Mel Hertig, the late, great Mel Hertig, uh, with James, of course, as editor-in-chief. Uh, the, the Encyclopedia was compiled and produced uh, right in Edmonton, uh, near the University of Alberta. And, uh, of course, Peter Lougheed was, was a huge part in getting that funding, as well as Mel Hertig. Um, James is an incredibly uh, intelligent and wise man. I had the privilege to sit with him uh, this evening for, for almost two hours to touch on the creation of the encyclopedia and, and why such a thing is important, why it was important then, and, and why it, it still is important now, uh, especially with values of editorial authority and getting the facts right from the experts. Uh, those are very important to him in, in a time when everybody has a voice and everybody's voice is all weighted equally on certain platforms for better or worse. So again, really enjoyed this one. It's a privilege. Uh, James was awarded the Order of Canada at one time. Uh, so he, uh, you know, really just a, a great Canadian, a man who by all accounts held up a mirror for the nation in the creation of the encyclopedia. So please enjoy this conversation with Mr. James Marsh. <laughs> James, for having me into your home and for your willingness to uh, to sit and chat for a bit. You're welcome. It's really exciting. So, um, I mean, a long, long career, a long list of things we could talk about, but uh, <laughs> uh, maybe... Are you saying I'm old? <laughs> I wasn't saying that. No, <laughs> okay. dist- distinguish how old. Oh, I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe maybe let's go the memoir. Your memoir is soon to go to press, or where are we at with that? It's uh, scheduled to go to press next month, okay. in fact, uh, in Winnipeg, okay. and to be published in uh, May. May, okay. Mid-May, yeah. And the name is? The memoir is called Know-It-All. Okay. <laughs> uh, Finding the Impossible Country. Okay, nice. That's a cool name. It's a cool name. Was that... You were called a know-it-all as a as a young guy. Is that- uh, you 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 got that. It's it's <laughs> it's meant to be a little ironic. My okay. mother used to chastise me for being a know-it-all. Okay. And I think that it's kind of coincidental that I grew up to make an encyclopedia. No kidding. So <laughs> so I don't know if people are going to see that when they first look at the title, but right. uh, that that's the story behind it. Very cool. So what when did it occur to you to write a memoir? I was about ten years ago. Okay. In a um, seminar Mm -hmm. with a very well-known Canadian writer named Denise Chong and she had written a famous book called Concubine's Children which was a memoir and she told us all in this group everybody should write about their family Mm. and uh, that got me going and I started 
working on it, and it became a project okay. uh, of mine. And it's gone through various phases. It's gone from being a project mm -hmm. to being something that I thought maybe could be published. Okay. And then I had to distance myself from it for mm. a while, uh, because once you become self-conscious about what yeah. you're doing, I'm not sure that you can maintain the voice. Mm. But I kind of, when I, once I retired about seven years ago, I started really working on it. And okay. I have memories from... Because I had a trauma when I was three years old. Okay. So I have memories of being very young. A lot of people okay. don't remember that far back. So I'm very uh, conscious of that. And mm. I wanted to explore that. And I'm very interested in memory. Okay. And what it is, how it relates to reality. Huh. So a lot of what I've written about mm -hmm. has that angle to it. Very interesting. That's, uh, I appreciate you sharing that detail with me. So... It, you're, it's interesting. You say you, you set out just to write it because it, it occurred to you that you should write it, but you didn't do it with the end game in mind of publishing it. That's right. Okay. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's my almost my favorite form of reading Okay. is uh, memoir and autobiography. Okay. And I got quite inspired along the way by hmm. reading certain things, like Speak Memory from the Bokoff and Mary sure. Carr's Liars Club. And I say, wow. So what I learned from them was that people's lives can be interesting. Right. And if they're told properly, that it might engage more than you or your family or mm. your friends. Sure. Uh, and and I was just plain lucky that I got, I literally got discovered by my publisher, uh, mm. Lorraine Sheba, who okay. runs Durval Press in uh, Calgary. Okay. And she came to me and said, you know, send me, send me it. And mm -hmm. within... Like a couple of hours, she sent me a contract. She thought that it it was well written, wow, and that it needed some work, but that mm -hmm. uh, that she and she's so excited and so <laughs> yeah, she's such a driving force behind this nice. that that now I'm not only excited but I'm actually worried people are, oh. might, might actually read this book, right. <laughs> you know. Well, what what worries you there? Like you, you mentioned the self consciousness. Like now you're aware of what you're putting out there. Yes, or? yeah. It's and I've tried to be so honest, mm -hmm. and I've revealed a lot about myself, my younger self more okay. than perhaps my later self. Sure. And I've talked, and I, but I've tried to give a reason. Why do I talk about trauma? Why do I talk about mm -hmm. being unstable at a certain point of my life? Why? Mm -hmm. And I try to make a sense out of that. Okay. And th in that way, perhaps others can relate to it, you know? Right on. I think that's a big part of the culture today is people, uh, I don't want to use the wrong word, but the trauma, the idea of trauma yes. and processing that is, is very much in vogue. Not to say what you're doing is somehow cheapened, but it's, yes. it's very necessary, isn't it? Yes, it is. And pretty much everybody who's written uh, a memoir has gone from, uh, who was I? Mm -hmm. And how did I get to where right. I feel I have something to say because maybe I had an accomplishment. I mm -hmm. uh, created the Canadian Encyclopedia right. and it's been fabulously reviewed and it's used, millions of people use it. So mm -hmm. I feel that maybe there's a connection. Okay. And every time I read a book or a biography, how did you get from there to here, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and that really is the is the process that I think is interesting in, in art. And so I, I try to focus on it and try to elucidate that as I'm telling my story. Right on. So you you've have you had to do a great bunch of introspection and, and self searching before you could even begin to write, or did the writing was the writing that? The writing wasn't really the release for me. Okay. I describe about because I had a very difficult childhood and I try okay. to describe that 
isolate the factors. Mm. My curiosity, my love of books, mm -hmm. I met this magical psychiatrist. <laughs> Interesting. And then I fell in love. And I think that I use these mm -hmm. as signposts along the way that mm. brought me to being my publisher said to me today jim the pictures of you know in the early part of the book of when you were a kid they're really dismal but you seem to get really happy about <laughs> midway through the book okay. and then and you're re and you're smiling at the end of it i said well isn't that the story isn't that the arc isn't that it yeah interesting so uh, would you mind sharing even if it's just a uh, you know 140 character tweet about what it was in your childhood that was that was kind of that traumatic moment or how would you frame that briefly my mother um got pregnant and had me in the second world war when my father was a soldier okay and i was uh put into a, a home okay uh, by my mother she couldn't take care of me mm. and this wonderful woman took me in and when I was eight months old, and she kept me until I was three. Mm. And she was this, was this wonderful, loving person. Mm -hmm. And then my father made my mother, when he got back from the war, she came to take me. Mm. And that moment was the trauma of my life where mm. I had no need for, I had no need for memories. I had no need for introspection or anything. Mm. But when my so-called real mother, mm. in my opinion, mm -hmm. abducted me from this happy place, mm -hmm. It divided my brain. It divided my world. And when I went to the new environment, mm -hmm. my father was a drunk, a violent man, mm -hmm. and my mother uh, was extremely uh, mean to me. Mm -hmm. So that's the trauma sure. and the divided consciousness that I felt that I had to deal with as I was growing up. Wow. And, uh, so uh, that's... Now, to be fair, the woman who had adopted me when I was very young... She stayed in my life. Oh, good. She would have me uh, holidays and bring me over, and she'd take me to Maple Leaf hockey games <laughs> when I was a little kid. And so I still had, uh, out of my neighborhood where I grew up, mm -hmm. people ended up in jail. They right. ended up, you know, always dropping out of school. But mm -hmm. I feel that, and I try to write about this, mm -hmm. I had a light that had been lit uh, for me, mm. and that I could follow, and and I think that uh, you mm. know, so that I try I try to uh, follow that narrative uh, through the end. A light that was lit for you, and that was in this woman that came and showed you what life could be. Yes, wow. exactly. Yeah, divided consciousness is a pretty, but I guess that's what trauma is in some ways, right? It's that yes. that fissure or that yes. split in the yes. in the self and the psyche, whatever. And if you have that trauma, mm -hmm. I I've I learned. You build all these defenses, right. and I built defenses against my so-called real mother and my father, who mm. was very violent. Okay. And then, you know, those become useless to you at a certain point. Right. They become impediments to actually living a normal and happy life. Yes. And so, the part of the story is how do you strip these away? Right. Right. You know. But and some people go their whole lives and never, never even recognize the defenses, never recognize the trauma, and never. I know some of those people. Yes. Right. Well, yes. there's there's probably more of them than not. I, that's true I, I almost feel like yes so how how long then did you go through life living in this i guess violent trauma inducing uh place i i, I lived at um my mother and father's place until i was 13 or 14 years old okay and then my father was committed to a mental institution and wow. my mother sent me to my first mother okay and so I lived with her. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I th the, the healing mm -hmm. began. 
And uh, in many ways, one of my great regrets is I wasn't very nice to hmm. my other mother because I still had all these resentments. And okay. she just loved me like her own child. And hmm. uh, so uh, I, I moved on, on from there. And, uh, okay. you know. That's, I mean, that what a way to start start out in, in this um, world, right? I mean, yeah. I, I suppose I... I feel lucky that I didn't have to have that fight with my with my family right. lineage, but but did it maybe steal you against the world? Like because you could have yeah. just given up, right? But yeah. it seems like maybe not. But I never gave up. Mm. I was always, and I feel that now my 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 siblings perhaps didn't do so well. I think that we're okay. born with certain strengths and weaknesses yes. as well, you know, but I've always been competitive. Okay. I always wanted to do well and I wanted to drive and I wanted to, I'm the first person in my family. I've been gone back 300 years who ever went to university. Oh wow! And when I got into publishing one thing, one job after another, mm. I focused on it with all my might mm. so that I could become um, you know, successful at it. And right. I ended up with the best publishing job in Canadian history as the editor-in-chief of the Canadian Encyclopedia. <laughs> so I think yeah. that some of that, you know... It, yeah. Sure. It lit a fire under your ass to use a exactly. Kind of colloquial... Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it does. It I, I had a chance to read something that you wrote, uh, I think right around the time you retired. And I was struck by, or I wanted to ask you, was is there something about publishing, about about the editing that 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 fulfilled you in some some way like what was it like the physical act that, that words okay it was words i will i will never forget in my first job mm-hmm. uh i got it out of a sh- sheer sheer luck right. i had no experience and i was very young and i got this job and the editor-in-chief of this company was furious that i'd gotten this job because right. i'd been given it and he slammed a bunch of galley proofs down on the on my and said proofread this dictionary we're doing a dictionary so i started proofreading this dictionary and Jeez. then I, I found this man, Peter West, and he became my mentor. We would discuss every word. Wow. And I found mm-hmm. that I had an innate, perhaps, curiosity about words, but a love mm. of words. And that's what this business is about. Right. And so that captured me from the very beginning and kept me totally focused on publishing. Other parts of it, too, sure. that we... I write about in the book that being an editor, mm. it's a lost art now. Okay. We editors were gatekeepers. They made sure that you got things right. That they mm. and you know, you know and uh, in many ways, I, I feel that publishing created democracy. Even all the books that were published and, mm. the, and, and the laws and all the expressions of philosophy and so on. Mm. It's all books, and yeah. much of it is eroded now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's an expert, and everybody can comment, and everybody can <laughs> do these things. And I always felt that being a gatekeeper and helping. An author expressed himself, but getting it right mm-hmm. uh, was totally fascinating to me. Sure. Very poorly paid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, As, but yeah. so are you going to say you did it for the, do it for the love of it? Sure. You know, but I think that that's, uh, that's why I loved it anyway. Okay. That's really very interesting stuff. But I, I, I am curious about that idea of editorial authority. That came up a few times in, in that article that I read by yeah. you. And now it's, it is true in web 2.0 or it's like social media. It's all, yeah. it's, it's, you know, everybody is uh, a contributor now. Yeah. How do we, well, in your mind, how do, how do we balance that? Cause you do need that editorial authority in some cases, but also people have the right to free expression. Exactly. Too. So I think it's a, I don't, I don't, re, I don't really resent anything that's happening. Okay. Uh, I, 
I'm sorry that there's a lot. I used to lecture at the university mm -hmm. every year, and I used to talk about the great power of the encyclopedia mm -hmm. is it's written by experts and checked by experts. Right. And so the information that you're giving, given is as correct as we can possibly make it. Right. And now this more uh, wiki approach sure. to things, uh, I think it's not done. I think it's a process. Hmm. And I, I feel that these things have to go through a historical change. Okay. Right now, I think it's very poor. I always, you know, say that books create a democracy, that mm. the um, the, uh, the social media mm -hmm. created Donald Trump, <laughs> and I think Surely. that, and I think that is what we need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to say these things without being called an elitist or, right. you know, yep. uh, but I think that. So I, I will continue to talk about those things mm -hmm. and hope that some of those things you know uh, sure. i used to say to people they said why, why do we need the encyclopedia we've got wikipedia and i said would, would you want your doctors uh trained <laughs> right. by a wiki uh you know textbook right and uh, so i think there's still something but i still think that there's a way that those i'm hoping mm -hmm. that they could they could be combined sure. in, in the future interesting well what struck me too was you when they came to the Canadian Encyclopedia, there was how many th contributors? Th thousands, right? Yes, 3,000 so more than, yeah. Right. So as much as you might say you're an elitist, it's not like it was just you and somebody else oh, no, cooking no, no. these up, right? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. That's the way a lot of reference works are produced, but I determined from the very beginning, mm -hmm. because of the nature of Canada, okay. as I saw it, that there is no one central authority in Canada. Right. I determined... I had, there's an expression, it's an historical, uh, philosoph philosophical expression, mm -hmm. local identities. And that's how I saw mm -hmm. the country. That someone in Antigonish is better to write about Antigonish sure. and the people who live there mm -hmm. and Edmonton or, or you know, or... or Princeton or wherever. Mm -hmm. they, these are the people uh, that, that should be writing about themselves yeah. and to do it based on fact. And, 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 and then I never had the huge nationalistic idea that this okay. was going to be a big statement okay. about you know who we are in the larger sense, mm -hmm. but I thought it was a community that would come together mm. and present a portrait of Canada, and you could look anywhere in it and see it. So that was that's why there were so many contributors, right. and it made it really hard on the editors. I bet, but it I I think that that's why the encyclopedia was so well received, and it was well received, wasn't it? Like it's it, yeah. I hate to say that it's uh, maybe in some circles it's it's forgotten in some ways in yes, the digital age, but. Yeah. Because my mom worked for you on yeah. that project, I grew up with those books in my house and yes. opened them up today just to get ready for this. And it's like, wow, like this is, yeah. it is in some ways a lost art, uh, something that from a bygone era, but no, yeah. you know, how, how do you, how do you feel about the Canadian encyclopedia today? I'm feeling um, now. I put it online. I was mm -hmm. online before Wikipedia actually, okay. and uh, we. Um, had a success with that, but it was still mm -hmm. uh, driven by authority and by experts. Right. And uh, I have, uh, since my retirement, it's still online and still used by mm -hmm. millions of people. But I think that it's lost two things in, in many ways. It's no longer a portrait of Canada okay. that you can look at in books. You can look at those books, say they're out of date, but that was a portrait of Canada. For sure. But if it's constantly being you know, updated and changed online. And, and that's probably inevitable. Mm -hmm. But they've also turned it into that everybody gets their say now. So I, oh. I stay away from it. Okay. And I've had a lot of the authors 
uh, that that wrote for me say that they've just taken their name off it because you know, really. But I don't know the internal dynamic that's driven uh, the people who are now in charge of the encyclopedia. Okay. I'm not heartbroken about it or anything. I still no. feel that it was an accomplishment. For sure. Still used by all kinds of people. So mm-hmm. uh, so it's a, it's mixed. My feelings are mixed. Okay, about. interesting. Yeah. Because it was a triumph at the time, and it was... We had great reviews. Yeah. You know what we sold? 150,000 sets of the first edition wow. were sold in about four or five months. Now, that's 450,000 volumes. Right. And then we sold the second edition three years later, another 100,000 sets of four volumes. Wow. I think that, you know, at that point, I think we were saturated, but that's right. how many people... It, the encyclopedia has been used in Supreme Court court cases oh, wow. and it's being used by kids for their homework and, right you know i had thousands of people write me after the encyclopedia was published and the things i loved was a high school student saying i saved up my money and i bought these wow. encyclopedias with my money you know uh, from my paper route and i love them and uh, god it makes him feel good right because it's the gift of, of knowledge right yes yes yeah and there's a lot you know, the creation and the production of that encyclopedia occurred right here in Edmonton, not far from here, right? In, in Garneau. Absolutely, yeah. That's a that's a part of Edmonton's history that maybe may not be known by many, many people, but it's... Yeah. Why was it... Why here? Because... Mel Hurdig, right. uh, maybe he's kind of forgotten now. He was mm-hmm. this incredible. I don't think anybody in Canada was as popular a commentator. If you needed somebody to say something about Canada or nationalism or whatever, mm-hmm. Mel Hurdig was your guy. Okay. And he was a local publisher and he was moderately successful. Mm-hmm. And a group of people came to him with an idea. You should do an encyclopedia. You're a Canadian nationalist. But he couldn't mm-hmm. get money for it. And Peter Lougheed mm-hmm. stepped in at the mm. 75th anniversary of this province, right. he said, I'm paying for the encyclopedia on condition, no other money. I don't want any federal money anywhere near it. <laughs> so he sure. paid Mel, uh, it was $4 million mm. that he gave him to okay. produce the Canadian encyclopedia for the development of it. Okay. And, uh, you know, I um, I had I got to know Peter Lougheed quite well. Mm. And uh, I remember... We had a wonderful lunch with the Governor General in Ottawa when the uh, encyclopedia was published, and she, and she said, "How could you work with a guy like Mel? You're such a conservative, and he's such a, a um, you know, uh, 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 Canadian nationalist." And uh, Peter said. I'm just as much of a nationalist as Meryl Hurdig is. Interesting. I love this country so much, and I wanted to give to Canada. And then he pointed to me, and he said, Jim sorted it out for us. <laughs> Which is one of the nicest things I ever had said about no me. No kidding. You know, wow. so, that was, that's, so that's how it got created. Mm-hmm. And so I, I came here from Ottawa. Okay. 300 people applied for the job. Don't ask me. Melton never told me why I was the guy that he hired, but he did. Huh. And then I hired uh, 40, 50, 60 staff. And okay. then they got all these contributors. This was the, the University of Alberta was fantastically helpful to us because okay. we were based there, and it was this Edmonton um, project, and, and we were proud of that, and mm. I still am, you know. Yeah, I remember going to Toronto after publication. I went into my favorite bookstore in mm-hmm. Toronto, okay, Britnell's it was called, mm-hmm. and I said, uh, I'm. I want to tell you about the Canadian Encyclopedia. I see you've got copies here, mm-hmm. and you. The woman said to me, Why would we be interested in a Canadian Encyclopedia Oof. made in Edmonton? As a Torontonian, my heart sank, and I really my it ended up selling well down there. That's good. But you know what I mean. This country mm-hmm. uh, still got these divisions yeah. and isolated. 
not hatred so much as some of its hatred. Well, it, prejudice, it, let's put it. Prejudice is right. It, yeah. yeah, a real sort of, but yeah, a regionalism or a tribalism. Yeah, or yeah, like all of that. Yeah. yeah, it is. So what was the total operating budget then? You got the four mil from the yes, provincial government? Yes, and Mel raised four for production. Okay. It was the biggest printing job in Canadian history, and he paid for that. Mm-hmm. And based on the money that the provincial government had put into it for the for the development of mm-hmm. it, um, that uh, the banks gave him the money to do it, wow. and uh, he did really well. Yeah, no, no doubt. From it, selling it out. So of the, of that roughly eight million. Was a lot of the cost just in actually physically printing the thing? Half of it. Half of it went into yes, just the paper and the yeah. book yeah, binding very, and stuff? It's very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just, I became almost uh, the sense of like when you're driving in the mountains and just the vastness of the whole thing strikes yes. you. I was leafing through one of the encyclopedias and I just thought, they did this by hand, right? Like the typesetting? The first of it, the, the, the first edition yeah. was... And it was only between first and second edition where this programmer came to me from the University of Alberta and said, Jim, how are you doing this? I said, well, we, we, we had thousands of index cards for every article and every contributor. And then we'd have p- people typing up the articles. And he right. said, um, come with me. <laughs> he marched me across the campus and okay. he said, this is a computer. <laughs> you know, and he was very proud of it. It was called an Amdahl and apparently okay. only, the only other Amdahl in North America that was in the military. Okay. And, uh, yeah. and you, honestly, a, a portable would be more powerful these days, right? Sure. So we, we then started putting all the stuff into a database program. Okay. And I couldn't believe how much easier our lives were made by that. Mm-hmm. I could punch in the, Who's this author? What's he writing? How far is he overdue? And how many words is he writing? So we could keep track of the length of the thing. And has he been paid or not paid? And all that stuff could be done so much faster. So much, you know. So that, that, my life followed the digital revolution. Because we went from there, okay, we're making the encyclopedia Mm -hmm. digitally. Mm -hmm. And then we went, of course, delivering it. We went to CD-ROM. Right. And then we went online. So the whole digital revolution, mm-hmm. you know, equivalent probably to the print revolution of hundreds of years ago. Sure. And it happened in that short period of time. And I just sort of rode along, you know, on the <laughs> yeah. top of this wave. And, uh, no and, you know, it's only every now and then you pause and say, well, what are the implications of that? Right. You know, and the implications of printing were the spread of democracy yeah. and the and and literacy and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what the uh, what's are we going to be, uh, be able to avoid the really bad things about that everything is digitized, that everybody's uh, just a consumer and and a shill? Or I mean, I worry about it. Uh, oh, absolutely, I do too. Uh, yeah. I think now. As we move towards Web 3.0, where where you know everything exists truly digitally, augmented reality, virtual reality, mm-hmm. currency is digital. You know, yes. artwork is owned on a blockchain, not not oh, in real life. That, that shocks me. But it had me thinking today. Like, there's that an app that you mentioned in one of your articles, Toronto in Time. Yeah, that to me is a step in the maybe the benevolent direction of what an encyclopedia. That's what I tried to do. In, in an augmented reality would look like. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. Unfortunately, that was near the end of my career. Okay. And the 
the foundation I was working for showed very little interest in mm -hmm. it, and they're not even in print anymore. I did Vancouver and Toronto okay. to actually take you from the encyclopedia on site to wherever. If you're walking in the place, you can learn about the people and the places, and and that you could experience it through time. And right. I thought that's how I wanted to re that's how I wanted to remake the encyclopedia rather mm -hmm. than making it into a giant wiki. Yeah, uh, that's. But, uh, I think that was the right instinct. That was a failed Personally. dream, though. You know. Was it? Yeah, because they didn't, uh, I, I, they didn't support it uh, in the institution I was working for at the time. Mm. So I think, if not you, somebody else could reboot that dream because that is, I mean, that is what augmented reality should do. And this, would, the so-called yes. metaverse. Yes. You know that's yes. what, you know you should be walking on the high level bridge and be able to yes. see the well, history yeah. of that bridge. That, yeah. I, I, that's and and have it accurate and all the rest of it, you know, and have yeah. it engaging and right. and uh, and now I mean you can do so much more. You could you know uh, it, we did it all with photographs, but you could do it with video and you could do it with sound yes. and all the rest of it. It could be a totally immersive experience, you know, a guided tour of the high level bridge. Absolutely, I'm interested in it. You I know? would take it. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. And 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 with augmented reality, a friend of mine joked, uh, depending what your political stripes are, that's the tour you would take. Like it would be yes. this completely individual. Choice. Yeah. yeah, it could happen. It could still happen. <laughs> Maybe I'll push for it if I <laughs> run out of ideas. Please do. Yeah, I, I want to really still spend some time on the Canadian Encyclopedia because it was it's a formative thing, obviously in your life, in, in yes. my in my mom's career, in, yes. in my life in a way too, not as indirectly, yeah, secondary, but yeah. secondary for sure. But uh, three years was it from inception to the first publication? Five. Five years. Yes. Five years of just like flat out work or what absolutely. was absolutely yeah yeah and you know what and i write a lot about this i just was so fortunate i made a few mistakes early on okay and when i came here the knock on me was that i wasn't a manager hmm. and but i found the secret to management was to really get devoted people hmm. to come and work and to create a team and i i don't mean that in any cliche way no but I, I can't tell you the number of people who've told me this was the job of their life, was to work wow. on this project and to focus on it. It would never have happened without that kind of commitment from them. Wow. And we used to sit and say, oh my God, the article on Rat just came in, or the article on Lethbridge. I, I didn't think I was going to get that, and everybody was excited and slap it in the encyclopedia, nice. you know. You know, and we, I, we hardly missed out on anything that we tried to do in the first edition. Wow. Uh, in, in the uh, three and a half million words, mm. uh, and they all got edited, all got verified, it got, you know, everything was checked and everything. Wow. And uh, it was, and, and it's a full portrait you, this, of Canada as well. There are thousands of illustrations in it, you know. For sure. It's a, it's a beautiful piece of work that, again, feels in some ways dated now when I look at yep. it, but, but mm -hmm. also just so authoritative and straight down the middle like apolitical you know yes. like it just it just I'm, was that, that was that was the drive that i had yeah there, when we had controversial subjects mm -hmm. like federalism and separatism okay i tried to get people to write those articles who were sympathetic okay to those things and that they and then we would pair these articles so you you th uh, i i didn't I've never seen. I see Canadian history as conflict. I For think sure. that when it's taught in schools, they 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 miss a lot of that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, I've written textbooks for Canadian uh, students in in Alberta. Okay. And my first history of Alberta 
I was the the book was momentarily banned because hmm. apparently I was the first textbook writer in, in Alberta history to talk about racism in this province, <laughs> and they didn't want to hear about it. But we finally overcame it, and they actually published it. Wow. And that's the way I see Canadian history. You don't steer away from conflict. It's what creates the country. It's what creates mm-hmm. the dialogue, and and you know, and mm-hmm. you might have to like we did with Quebec, fight it in every generation. Fine, right? You know, but uh, it, it's not. It's uh, and now we're dealing with much broader issues than just Quebec, right? right. All the multicultural issues and mm-hmm. so on that we have, and yet we still seem to hang. <laughs> we still seem to be hanging in there. Do you feel that way? Do you have an uh, optimistic outlook on the future of Canada? No. Uh, well, yes. I <laughs> okay. I, I, an optimistic sure. Uh, um, view that it will continue to exist, sure. but not optimistic that it's going to have some kind of national mm. identity. Okay. I, I so I have a lament for that. Right. That that's not going to exist. There were certain parts of my life that I thought, Canada, you know, right. except for when watching the hockey team win the Olympic gold, <laughs> which may not happen now. But, yeah. you know, I feel that. So, so you know, my feelings are mixed about it, as okay. they should be. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I guess I, in that article, again, and you've, you've said it once yourself, is that uh, you were a nationalist at one time, or you, you, mm-hmm. you identified as a nationalist. Yes. What, what did that mean 40 years ago versus maybe what it means now? I've, I've tried to analyze that because the people that I followed as nationalists, Mel Hurdig and Jack mm-hmm. McClellan, who was the head of McClellan sure. and Stewart, and uh, there were a number of others, and there were several liberal politicians who talked about Canada. Mm-hmm. But when I analyzed it, all I saw that they meant was that we owned our own industries, that we uh-huh. we, we, we we cut out foreign ownership. Mm. And I kept asking, what does that mean culturally? What does that mean who we are? Interesting. Because to me, being a national, I'm a cultural nationalist. Okay. I think that our... Our authors and filmmakers and 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 actors right. need to have a voice within their own country, and that's what I mean okay. uh, by being a nationalist. And uh, hmm. if that means that publishing companies should be owned by Canadians, which they're mostly not, I don't right. know. But hmm. but look at the look at the writers that we have, and 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 you know, and all the bright spots we have in our right. in music and definitely, and, and that to me, if we can nurture that. Uh, you know, I saw somebody the other day because Norm Macdonald, the great comedian, died. But somebody mm-hmm. said Canadians are way better comedians <laughs> than than Americans are. It's kind of because of where we come from. Well, that's a Canadian thing. For, sure. I mean, if we can be funny, that's important to yeah. the world. You know, absolutely. There's something about being in Canada that, that's funny. I guess. You know? Yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That, yeah, you know, know. can laugh it, at ourselves. I don't know. Yeah. Inclement weather maybe breeds some of that. It is know? with me recently, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we got iced in last week. Oh, man, wasn't that... That was wicked. You could skate you could skate downtown Yeah. last week. Yeah, it was... Yeah. I find that fascinating that you say these these big sort of capitalist guys who, who said they were nationalists just meant... It just meant I'm running my business the way I want I to. Feel, I, feel, I feel that in retrospect. Yeah. And they spoke very well for Canada and in many ways... They were like against the Vietnam War. They were sure. against American policies, and mm-hmm. they were against actually America in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel that way in many ways too. Mm-hmm. That we are, we can be different. We, we, you know, with with our own problems. And and so I feel um, someone like Margaret Atwood was mm-hmm. part of that nationalist movement. But she's a she's a creative force, right. and she's a powerful force for what I'm saying about 
our literature and sure. our writers, uh, you know, and these mm-hmm. these important people, all underpaid, of course. Well, yeah, isn't <laughs> that know? the way it goes? Yes, yeah, it is, but, but it's because they love it. I guess it is, yeah, and you, you, the reward is richer, you know. Yes. That's interesting, though. Nationalism is something like fostering or protecting the identity of what it is to be uh, yes. a citizen here. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, and you mentioned earlier some multicultural problems, so to speak. How how did, I mean, in the last just few years, we've seen this sort of explosion in, in a, a, an awareness of, of, of indigenous and aboriginal yes. suffering. How yes. did the encyclopedia maybe treat that 40 years ago? And do you, do you have any regrets or do you have a, knowing what you knew then? Yeah. I don't have regrets, but I definitely see in retrospect that we were only and I like to think, the beginning of the process. We didn't even have the names right. We didn't even have... And we didn't... We hadn't... Residential schools Mm -hmm. uh, issue had not been revealed to us yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's more... There were more words and more articles put into the Canadian Encyclopedia about who we called First Nations in those Mm -hmm. days uh, than ever before... It was ever published before. And we we tried to cover... We covered uh, Native people and education, health, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, poverty, and and all these issues Mm -hmm. were covered. And yet... Looking at it, I mean, if it were to be done now, we're at a different end of the process. Right. I think there's more... Uh, uh, um, Dervile in Calgary, for example, is publishing uh, a lot of books by Aboriginal and Métis okay. writers. And so you, that's what I mean by culture. That's what I mean by sure. voice. Those voices need to be heard. Right. And then people will start to perhaps overcome the prejudices that is holding this whole process back. Right. I don't see it ending anytime soon, but I do see it progressing. Right on. It's interesting you say that the encyclopedia was, con- there was contributors that were Aboriginal. Yes. And and you, but you guys did that without any sort of, because ne- today what's in vogue is that sort of gestural yeah. fanfare. That's right. Look how we're uplifting yeah. these voices. But yeah. you just did it because uh, as a matter of course. Yes, because it was part of my inclusive idea of what Canada is. Right. And they were a huge part of it. They always were since I was a kid. So mm-hmm. I call it a prejudice, but an interest. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be Pontiac, you know, <laughs> when, whenever we were having our wars in the neighborhood. And, okay. And, and I was always, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I romanticized it, yes. Sure. But I think that there was also an interest. I never understood, though, mm-hmm. until, and actually quite recently, mm-hmm. that Canadians were a colonial power. Yeah. The Native, the native people were colonized. Yeah. And I never, I, I didn't have the encyclopedia created under that uh, understanding. And I was certainly, if I had to do it all over now, I, that's where I'd start. Yeah. You know, now... Colonization has happened all over the world, and the native people mm-hmm. themselves colonize one another, and also. But we we never looked at it as a process like that. Interesting. We just thought that you know uh, that the white people were going to move in, and the settlers <laughs> were heroes, and they were in their own way, and then mm-hmm. but other people had to suffer for it. And, right. Uh, it's it's uh, it, it, it's really it's our thorniest problem. Racism sure. against the blacks are still the original sin in the United States, but right. this is ours. And we need to we, we need to resolve this right on. No, I think that's that's very accurate. And uh, when it came to myself in grade school, the way they dealt with colonialization, it was never even called that. You know, no, and no. It wasn't until high, uh, first year of university I read a book by uh, Thompson Highway, yes, Aboriginal writer, yeah, and it was like, wonderful. oh, uh, oh, really? That right? And he went. He didn't shy away from anything. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, yeah. So powerful. I, 
I wonder, uh, do you see a role for the encyclopedia in, in this discussion going forward or... I think that uh, the way that it's being handled now, I, I, I shouldn't say because I, I'm not really involved right. in it, mm-hmm. but I think um, I think there's a chance uh, that if they open it up mm-hmm. wide enough to more voices right. and get them heard, mm-hmm. that I think, and then people just go to it and, and hear them. The, I, I've heard now, and it's, it's sad, but we have to listen to it, mm-hmm. a lot of kids are tired of hearing about this now mm. and that's going the wrong direction there okay these voices should be everywhere they should be in the media they should right. be you know every time there's a film then you that sh- we should be thinking about or a right. book we should be thinking about what's you know how we can fit this into the larger narrative right and that will enrich it i agree i agree i also but in the way that the encyclopedia did it 40 years ago, don't do it because we, ha- you know, because we have to in this sure. gestural way, as exactly. I said. Exactly. But, right. but do it because those voices are, just, yeah, part of us for sure. Yeah. yeah. Exactly right. Yes. It's part of us. Yeah. I really always liked hearing stories about the encyclopedia because you guys just, as I understand it, you rented a couple houses and it was just yes. a, a crew of you just kind of yes. banging away. We were. What was what was the sort of atmosphere? What was the team spirit like back I, in those days? I think. I had um, a guy who only worked very part-time for me, mm-hmm. and I don't even think I ever met him. Oh. And he said that walking into those houses was just the most incredible experience of mm. excitement, of, of talk, mm. of feeling. And um, I think my, one of my roles was to instill confidence. We can do this. This mm-hmm. is going to happen. And we were supported in that right. by all the people who wrote for us. We want to be part of this. And so if you walked in there mm. and... I didn't w- walk into it so much as never left. I was seven days a week working <laughs> Is that right? because, yeah, I had I had a lot of different functions that I had sure. to do. Okay, and I didn't so much manage people as that I just you know pitched in and right. gave directions when I had to, and then just watched people work. You know, <laughs> right. but there was a lot of that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, your mom, for example, sure. she handled this massive project that we had to get the encyclopedia translated, and all these files were flying back and forth from Montreal from our French publisher back wow. and forth and she organized all of that and i just assumed that she would and i never stopped to say is this too much deborah right. mean, you know but no but she did it and i think she was proud of it you know totally she i mean the way she talks about it still to this day it's i mean you should have seen her yesterday she hauls all these volumes up oh, from the basement oh, oh i'm this, so this. excited yeah <laughs> yeah no it's uh yeah uh, it, it felt as much as it was this really sort of not austere but like it was a reference work it wasn't yes. like there was a ton of room for creativity but no. the process felt in some ways creative yes right? it did yes it did and we really yes and, and everybody felt that way the contributors felt that way sometimes mm. they had a lot of difficulty you know i say to somebody well you're the expert on some topic whatever i don't know mm. the uh, badger or something <laughs> and we, but you've got to you only have 250 words okay right. because we got to fit it in and, <laughs> and they'd be struggling with that you right. know and so there was so much contact with these people from coast to coast hmm. and and in writing these things and creating them and then and then shipping them out to us you know wow so we felt not only among ourselves but we felt part of a really big community of uh, of canadians who, who cooperated in making this thing no kidding i mean without getting yeah. too without getting too out there it must yeah. have felt like you tapped into the spirit of of the nation in some way we like did you, at that time you know yeah and i think it was still a time um, and the Mel Hurtigs and so on of those mm. national, I've, I've, I've criticized them in a way, but there was still a feeling that 
there was something mm. called Canada that could be kind of summed up mm -hmm. you know and one of the one of my favorite reviews of uh, one of canada's historians said in his review that james marsh held up a mirror to his country and i like right. i can't imagine that anybody could say anything that would be more rewarding to me than uh, than than that uh, so uh, i i guess that's what we managed to do that's that's huge hey yeah it was holding up a mirror but then it's also the i guess to follow that metaphor through, it's like the country would still have to look into the mirror and, and yes. take from it what they could. Well, a lot of people bought them. I don't know how many opened them, but a lot of people bought them. <laughs> no you doubt. Know, you know. I was actually struck today looking at that. You guys chose a nice font for one thing. It was kind of a, it was like, it was a pleasing thing to look at. And, but also the amount of info crammed onto those pages is phenomenal. It is. Yeah. And it had to be because right. Mel Herdig had a price he had to sell it for, for the $4 million that he put into it. Sure. And I couldn't go over. Mm. When it all came in, in spite of the database program that we were using, mm -hmm. we are 300,000 words over. Ooh. And I had to sit and read the oh, whole encyclopedia man. from cover to cover. <laughs> I never got up from my uh, couch. I had my headphones on listening to Sibelius and Beethoven and stuff. Right. I had to cut 300,000 words out of it Damn. to make it fit. And we had a great designer in Toronto, David Shaw, and he designed mm. all of that, you know, okay. uh, all the... And I still remember, and you said by hand, and you were right, mm -hmm. I had to go to Toronto when we had what were called galley proofs. Okay. And they, that was from the typeset. Okay. And he and his assistant had to take scissors, and they, and when you see a column, you will see that that was... And he cut it there and said, Jim, we got to put a photograph in here, and you got to shorten the caption. And so I'd <laughs> do that, and then... And these things, and I remember one day, you know, I said, David, he said, yes. And I said, what's that on your shoe? And it was a piece of an article which oh, no. was glued to his foot. <laughs> so that's how that's it was made. Was. Yeah. Oh, it's all done. It's all done with a program now. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, uh, I think my publisher herself has typeset this book. You, all you need is a typesetting. I Not all you need. You have to know the programs and sure. so on. But uh, when I first started in publishing, and that was in the late 60s. Mm -hmm. It was all lead. The typesetter would push a button wow. and, um, you know, a, a little piece of, um, a letter would go out. It would get filled with lead and it would dry and then it would be put in the sentence, in the, in the word. And that's how, the, that's how things were typeset for over 100 years. Lead. Hot lead. That's what the ink was? That, no, that's what... That's how you impress the ink. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. and and then when it was all done, you melted it all down and you started all over again. And then to to now, you could sit down probably in a couple of days and mm -hmm. learn, and you can go on. You could send your book to Amazon and have it. That's you, true. You, you know, lay it out and 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 all the rest of that. And it's uh, that that part of technology is really good. That's really powerful. Right. And that's really shortening. A you know all those those poor typesetters who yeah. died of lead poisoning. Oh, really? It's, oh, it's oh, terrible. Man. So I think that that, so there's some things I'm not nostalgic about. <laughs> yeah, you know, for sure. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, the I'm, changes are enormous. For sure. I'm glad you brought that up, the whole, like you could for sure type your own book and send yeah. it to Amazon and, and sell it. Yes. But there's a tough, I've wondered about this because I have a laptop now, so yep. so I can record and sing and play guitar and make music. Yes. I'm not a great musician, but okay. I can do it now. You can, yeah. Should I release it to the world, though? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. is there a way where it's like, now, we, like, as you say, the gatekeepers have kind of been blown away, and everybody can, yeah. 
there's good and bad, I guess, yes. to that. Do you think that there's still an idea of quality left? Like to say, oh, you know, you're this guy's a pretty good singer, right? And he's pretty good. Uh, you, you know, he's not Robert Plant, but you right. know, yeah. <laughs> <For> sure, <laughs> you know, but yeah. but uh, I want to hear more. Sure. And so that would maybe then there'd be a mutual encouragement. Mm-hmm. But I still feel, don't you though? Even as a musician, if you don't get picked up by a label, there's still a bit of like for me to just go out and publish my own book. That how how are you ever going to justify that? That that's not just your own ego, right? Uh, and you know that that created that book. Whereas I feel with my publisher, mm-hmm. uh, you know whether she's got good judgment or bad, she <laughs> she applied judgment to it for sure, and she makes an investment in. It. And so, therefore, I mean, if I were to tell my friends, oh, I'm publishing my own book next week, they would go yawn. Yeah, great. But I tell them, you, you've got a publisher? I want to read that book. I mean, I'm serious. That's how that's how people react when, uh, you know, she's uh, one of my gate. She's my gatekeeper. Right? Truly. And I, I guess that's the debate. I'm glad we're well, I'm glad we're bringing it up. And I don't know the answer because maybe it's different in my generation where, like, I have this podcast. I have friends who do who, who release music. They make movies. Yes independently completely and it no one says no one says that it's any less or better right. without that elitist or that that official okay. seal on it yes. but also as soon as you have a friend who gets a film into a festival or does get yes you know he's like i'm, I'm opening for someone at a concert then yeah. it's like then you yeah okay right, right? pay like, attention right because there's so much and right. you, you know so what do you need to pay you know i read That's books true. because i read reviews Okay. I, I, you know, I read the Times Literary Supplement and mm-hmm. New Yorker and blah, 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 blah. And then I go straight, order the book on Amazon. Uh, right. I don't, I don't go into a bookstore anymore and browse. Mm. I kind of know what I want because someone has said hmm. somewhere along the line that it was, that this is worth reading. Right. And I trusted them before. And that's what I do. Hmm. I don't know, um, uh, how many people do that? But I think that it's uh, you know yeah. part part of my process. Interesting. I wonder if that's maybe just a generational thing. Like we, I joke with my parents. It's like yeah. things used to happen, and then the news would come to your door the next day. Yeah, and you just trusted. Well, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happened yesterday. Yeah. I knew about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas now it's like I like I hate to bring this up, but with the Kyle Rittenhouse shooting, uh, you know, uh, I, I saw that on Twitter moments after it happened yeah. before they could scrub it. It was like this I is know. a different world yeah. we're living in. It really is. You know, it really is. Yeah, and unfortunately, and you're right. It's it, it, it theoretically it's a really good idea to have more voices, but mm-hmm. you know, if the voices are racist and sure. neo-Nazi or whatever, mm-hmm. and that gets equal billing right uh, with things i think that's very deleterious and i think that's why you see the spread of of right-wing movements and uh, Mm -hmm. and reactionary movements and Mm. you know when i was a kid a polio had just hit and all of a sudden it was announced on the news in the newspapers Mm -hmm. there was a polio vaccine we just marched into school and given the polio vaccine right but there wasn't any (laughs) it wasn't a chance for everything i'm not done going to do that and then everybody listened to that only the the jehovah witnesses had religious reasons not to do it sure and uh, that would be one kid in the classroom or something like that everybody who got in line and got the and we didn't get polio but now everything to prove your resentment Hmm. to government and to your situation in mm-hmm. life not being what it c- could be if others hadn't taken advantage of you, ah. these people now have a, this resentful voice that they can, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, expose. And so, uh, 
one of the things I'm wondering about right now is, mm -hmm. was it always like this? Or is this being created? Mm. I don't know. Was it? I mean, in the mid fifties, were there people who thought that getting the polio vaccine was, uh, you know, uh, going to make them stupid? Or I, I, <laughs> I, I was hoping you'd tell me. No, I, I don't know. Don't like you don't. I don't. What's something similar like uh, like Vietnam maybe? But I mean, that's a different thing. Uh, how about yeah. how about like uh, abortion or birth control? The inception mm -hmm. of that wasn't there some. Wasn't there some upheaval over that? Oh, that was the worst article that I had to do. That that was an extremely uh, contentious. Uh, it still is, right. but at, that was the point at which there were, that, that there was this huge fight. I had that article rewritten twelve or thirteen times mm. to try and balance it hmm. between you, what do you people believe and what do you people believe, right. and and so on. And everybody can have their own private uh, view of that. But mm. to put an article in the encyclopedia was very difficult because mm. it's hard to find middle ground but i think right. and i believe strongly that if you don't search for the middle ground we are flying apart yes you know uh, uh with in our ideologies right now right it's something like who is it that said the center must hold yes yates maybe i don't know well everything is t.s <laughs> Eliot. okay yeah well. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's but that's right i guess that's the role things of, fall apart yeah the center will not hold right that's the, the that's true that's the role of centrist politics, I guess, or... or yes, it or, is. Compromise. Right. Some, one of the things that Canadians used to be mm -hmm. known for. Right. You know, and ridiculed for, even, that mm -hmm. we had to uh, uh, compromise. And Confederation was this huge compromise, and, we, right. and we've had to live with it ever since, but it wouldn't have happened otherwise, you know? Right. So, uh, right now, I, um, I see... I'm, I'm sorry to say, and particularly in this province, I'm exposed to a lot of hatred. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, and I read something the other day that scared me, though. They said mm. that you can't change people's minds. The mm. part of their mind that they have made these crazy decisions with right. is dead huh. and can't be spoken to anymore. So you can't knock them off this. You can't sit down with them and say, mm. unless they get COVID and are dying themselves, and then say, I wish I'd right. taken but, the vaccine. Yeah. But even then. But yeah, even then, sometimes. I'm not changing my mind. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there was one historical thing. I did write an article sure. about smallpox in the 19th century, and the vaccine came along. Mm -hmm. And the vaccine in Quebec, the French Canadians refused to take the vaccine. Okay. Because they saw it as an... English conspiracy. And I have quotes from French Canadians say, I'd rather have my kid die than, ha than give him a vaccine. And that gave me an insight to today. What is it that the people hmm. who have these um, extreme views, yeah. what is it that they resent? What, who is it that they hate? And a lot of times in this province, it's French Canadians or the federal government, yeah. you know, yeah, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, there's another part that might hate Kenny. So it's all, uh -huh. it, all, it might all balance out, you know. But isn't that, isn't that, this is what I have discovered, I think, through doing this podcast or just paying attention to the world lately yeah. is like so much of that. I hate Trudeau. I hate Kenny. I hate the French. Yeah. It's, I hate me and I have no control. I over agree myself. with you. It's. That's true. Politics to me, Jim, is, is, is personality. Yes. Like, and and it's also now religion, you know? Yes. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So, so I, I don't, a lot of it to me is BS. It's just like you, you yeah. can put whatever word you want, but you're warring with, with yourself. Yes. Yeah. So. I, I know. I, I mean. But I've had, I have conservative friends and I, okay. for years, sat and talked to them mm. about climate change. 
And they, for whatever reasons, some of it's religious and some of it is, you know, gov- too, too much government and there are mm-hmm. all these things. And five or six years ago, they even seemed to almost make some sort of sense that it wasn't happening. Hmm. Who could say that now? And so, you know, so, and so, mm-hmm. so I feel, mm-hmm. well, I was right and you were wrong. And, right. uh, and, but they still resent me for, oh, they're not going to read my book. You know, but, <laughs> but I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And now there are other things that I certainly feel that I might have been wrong about or sure. that I got wrong right. along the way. And um, I don't know whether I've, uh, I, I, I'd like to think that I've changed my mind. Mm-hmm. And I still remember I changed my mind in a, in a big publishing meeting I had. And the head of the publishing company said, Jim, you changed your mind pretty easily. And he said, why'd you do that? And I said, because I was wrong. And he stared at me like I was from some alien planet, you know? You're supposed to fight to the death for the thing that you came out of your mouth. Right, you know? right. So uh, that, that makes it a difficult world for sure. No, it does because the, yeah. it's, I guess it's the ego people have or, or ignorance or some combination. Yes. And those resentments, I'm, and I'm, mm. I look for those now. You okay. Know? Yeah. Like in yourself or in others? Or? Well, for when I see people, right. you know, really... Right, uh, fighting things that I think that are crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. That reminds me of something I read in that article today. You approached the the encyclopedia job with a lot of was it humility or you or modesty or something like that? You you said, did I? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think so. Yeah. What was your leadership style when it when it, like day one? What, what, I um, I think. I had not had management experience, okay. but I had a lot of experience working with groups of academics okay. in, uh, I was on council boards and I was on, I was w- working with, in, on a, on a board, on a publication board mm-hmm. where people talk to one another. And then I learned, I thought mm-hmm. that how I could show leadership was do the work. Mm. I always felt I'm never going to go in. I was on the board of the National Museums and I went right. to meetings for years and I always said I'm going to be the most prepared person to walk mm. in the room. And that's what I thought of as leadership. Mm. And I was always willing to do whatever work it took. And I was always going to know right. what anybody is talking about. And that's what I thought. And I, I think I had that from the hmm. beginning. And I had to, unfortunately, at one point, uh, I had a couple of staff who maybe tried to take a little bit of advantage of my easygoing, uh-huh. and I had to toughen up, and I actually had to fire two or three people, and I hated mm. that. Yeah, that's tough. It was terrible, but it's inevitable. Right. And and, when, and then we got really, really careful about it. I used to, when I tried to hire somebody, I'd take mm. them for a walk or, oh, yeah. you know, or maybe even go out to dinner with them and then talk mm. to them and uh, maybe go to their house and meet their family, and oh, all wow. of a sudden you know the person come, you know, come and work for me. We know we're going to get along, you know. Wow, that's that's bold, I would say, even like. To, to... Well, yeah, it's, uh, I was lucky though, and I yeah. feel that I did it the right way. So cool. Yeah. So you felt good about the team that you assembled for the encyclopedia, like just based. I, on I that? had to make a few adjustments. Okay. It. And I had to uh, break one of the rules that Mel Hertig uh, had. He wanted everybody here, mm-hmm. and I finally. So I couldn't get the senior editor skill, and I said, "Mel, I'm sorry. I've mm. got to. I need two more senior people, and they only exist in Toronto. And mm. I'm going to let them work in a, out of their homes." So we were away at the time in that. So that, wow. and when I got yeah. those two people mm. and put them together with the team I put here, we I I never had another staff problem after wow. that. It just clicked. It did. Hmm. Yeah. 
What was your relationship like with Mel? Like how often did, would he come in and knock on the door and say, how's it going? Or was he kind of hands off? You know, off Mel, when I had my, uh, and I describe at length, I won't go into it now, but a very interesting interview process with okay. him, him <laughs> trying to hire me. It's the most important decision he had to make. Right. And, but once, when he said, okay, I'm going to hire you, Jim. And I said, okay, but I've got a condition. Mm-hmm. I'm writing my contract. And he said, go ahead, do it. And I put in my contract that I had right. final say on everything in the encyclopedia. Wow. He signed off on it. Huh. So he used to phone me. Right. Uh, well, especially when the galleys came in. Okay. He'd keep me on the phone for two or three hours huh. saying, Jim, you know, I know a lot about this and you should change this or you <laughs> should change that. And you should put all these statistics in that I found. And right. he would go on and on and on about it. And then right. he'd always finish by saying, it's up to you. Uh-huh. And I rarely took any of his uh, <laughs> suggestions. But right. I couldn't say, Mel, you can't, he's my boss. Right. You right. know, and he was interested, but he always wanted to make it into a more nationalistic thing. Huh. And, you know, uh, and and he wanted to pour statistics in it. He thought that people would like that. And I thought mm. it was the opposite. They'll be out of date the day, sure. the day that it's published, you know. Right. Who cares if Calgary <laughs> has got 20,000 fewer people than Edmonton, right. and, you know, whatever. So we, I used only... The, the statistics uh, Canada census okay. statistics through the whole thing and it was so it's all consistent throughout it so that to answer your question um, the only time mm-hmm. that he ever in quotes interfered was mm-hmm. that he found out that I had given the Peter Lougheed, uh biography mm-hmm. to a person whom he considered too conservative too right wing okay and um, and I said, send it out and have people read it, uh, Mel. You know that that'll right. be fine. And they all came back and said it's fine. Hmm. So that was the only time that he ever spoke to me about any of these things. And he never, and I I mean it was really brave of him, right? He's yeah. putting his whole life into this really? business, everything. Yeah. And he learned to trust me to do it. Hmm. And uh, so I I guess. He could look through, well, you got that guy to write that, you got that guy to write that. We not only had all these writers, but we had uh, hundreds of consultants Yeah, who were all university professors or, mm. you know, uh, mm. researchers or whatever. And so I think that he could look, what's, he, what's Jim up to, you know, kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Britannica yeah. came up and looked at us Interesting. about two or three years into the process and they tried to buy us. They were so impressed with what I was doing. Really? So I think that helped him. Ah. To see that I was maybe on the right track. Right. You know, but, uh, honestly though, I mean with, I don't know, six months left, mm-hmm. we only had about 20% of the thing was delivered. <laughs> Jim, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, four years to 20%, what's going to happen, you know? Right, right. And uh, I used to joke with him and say, you know, James Murray did the entire Oxford Dictionary, He or he... He invented it, and he died at the at the letter D. Don't <laughs> tell me that, Jim. He'd say, "No, <laughs> you know, oh, no. <laughs> yeah." That's so, is that true? Uh, yes. Like he got to D, and as died. far as he made it, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, other people finished it, obviously. Sure. But that's yeah. was it. The stress, or was it just something else? <laughs> I think it was partly the stress, but he was a little older, yeah, as well. By the time that he started that, you know, but yeah. it scared the hell out of. Uh, caught, yeah. caught in the web of words is the history of the making of the OED, and I loved. Okay. I read it just before I took over, and it was really inspiring to me. And you know, he left behind. A, if I had um, 
died in the fourth year or something. It, it would have the encyclopedia would have still. I put it in process, and that's oh, that was the important thing, right? And, and the editors could have finished it without me. You know, interesting. You just kind of put the right people in place, open the doors. That's what and, you do, and that, yeah. that's my idea of it. And I don't know if that sounds like a cliche, but it's really what I uh, feel uh, that I that I did with the, with the staff, and uh, you know, that makes sense. I always like to look at people. I always say. Uh, People say to me, don't you think so-and-so looks like so-and-so? And I say, I don't ever see things that way. Hmm. I always see people as completely different. I don't care if they're brother and sister. I don't care what. I don't look for similarities I see. Hmm. And I think I did that with my staff. Right on. You know, who are you? What are you strong at? And what can hmm. you do? And I think that I tried to support them in that. Right on. Yeah. yeah when I read that article and you, uh, you kind of told the story about how you got the job and then there's all these people who were kind of not super nice in the way they congratulated you or didn't. Yeah. Did you sense a lot of jealousy from your peers? Because you some. were... Some. Some, yeah. Yes. Oh, you're the guy who got the 35,000. It doesn't sound like very much money now, does yeah. it? The <laughs> 35, because it was in the Golden Mail in huge letters. Oh, really? You got the 35,000, you know. <laughs> and and I, I loved it in a way, but it was also most jealous that this really terrific historian, mm -hmm. intellectual at Carleton University, when they had a farewell party for me, mm -hmm. and he leaned and he whispered in my ear, you got the best damn job in Canada, Jim. Mm -hmm. And I could hear it in his voice yeah. that it wasn't purely congratulatory, you know. Like he thought and, he maybe should have been in the running for it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But that goes back to that old ego thing, right? Where these guys, yeah. you know, they couldn't. Do you, do you have a sense of why it was you? Because you, 300 applicants, you said that Mel yeah. had to sift through. Why you? I, I, I try to <laughs> analyze that in my own. I yeah. think that I, once again, I came prepared. Right. The, the, he, he interviewed a lot of people. He brought a lot of people out here. Mm -hmm. But I talked to people in Ottawa. I found out there had been an encyclopedia mm -hmm. produced in Canada in the 1950s. I went oh. straight to the National Archives. Okay. I went into all the files of the editor-in-chief. I wrote what he did wrong yeah. and what he did right. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend at the National Archives... And I said, is there anything written? Because I couldn't find it mm. on how to make an encyclopedia. Mm. And this person found me two articles written in an obscure library science uh, <laughs> journal, how the Columbia Encyclopedia was put together. Wow. And so I learned so much from that that when I was talking to Mel or the other mm -hmm. people he had interview me, I was able, this is how you do it. So right. I think that was part of it. Okay. That they could see I was prepared and that I could do that. Right. But it, it, but Mel told me though, there was a dispute with the, another person that he hired called the general manager, and I was unhappy that this person had a lot of power that might override the uh, the editor sure. in chief sure. and so on, and so I called this guy in and we had a long lively chat okay and he's this really tough scottish football player and i was this really tough guy from the lower class toronto right and we had it out and it went really well mm. and and then i phoned mel and i said this is how it has to go and he said now i know you can do the job whoa so all the stuff intellectual or preparation wise i think unconsciously i had to show a little bit of toughness sure that he he said okay i know you can do it now that's interesting hey for yeah. as as bookish or as yeah. as literary as this pursuit was he still wanted a he, he wanted a hard a guy and, yeah manager. a tough guy yeah 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 that certain toughness to them sure. right and i rarely had to show it but i could when i had to you know mm -hmm. i always thought of myself that i'm uh, 
I, I'm a non-confrontational person, mm -hmm. but anytime anybody has ever challenged me, they'll find that there's a <laughs> tennis, <laughs> <laughs> sure. you know, or or, uh, or other things mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I, I can I can rise up and uh, defend myself. And I think that, so, but he never told me. Mm -hmm. And I, I asked him many times, "What'd you hire me? Why'd you hire me?" And he never told me. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. It doesn't matter after a certain point, right? You, no, it doesn't. You got no, the job. No, no. You know, it. Uh, I I analyzed Mel, and I thought that he was the kind of person mm -hmm. who really did things on other people's advice. He had all kinds of people interview me, mm -hmm. talk to me. Okay. I went to a meal here when I came out from my interview, and all the top media people. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're there, right. um, and, uh, journalists and broadcasters and all the rest of them. And they would sit and he would watch me talking to them, uh, ah, I guess. So maybe that helped. I don't know. Yeah. And so, hmm. uh, anyway, uh, we did it. So yeah, you, did it. <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you did it. What was the party like in, in 1985? It was great. Yeah. I wish that we'd had a videotape of uh, the Tommy Banks, uh, band was there oh, wow. <laughs> and uh there were several thousand people in the citadel theater oh, and wow. the pictures are terrible oh no the, the, so whoever took the pictures are from the far you know part right and then we went into the, the big theater uh okay. there and uh david shaw had made an encyclopedia uh, about six feet or more tall okay and then when mel went up he opened it up and there were stairs up Oh, and man. so there's the picture of me when I uh, stood up. Uh, it's one of my favorite pictures. It's cool. not a great picture, but I'm standing there and my, I've got my eyes cast down, mm -hmm. and every everybody you know mm -hmm. cheered and cheered me on, and I, it was a wonderful experience. So Mel Herdick, Peter Lawhead, and myself uh, spoke at that, and then we drank mm -hmm. champagne. There was a, there were towers of champagne glasses pouring and all the rest <laughs> nice. of it. Kind of a cliche party, but oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, why not? It was worth it. You know, totally. It got press, which is what you're yeah. looking for, right? Right. You wanted to. So I guess I am curious about the marketing effort. How how did you market it at that time? Well, Mel, that was his great strength. I right. you know I had nothing to do with that literally. But he had to negotiate with the chain bookstores, in the independent bookstores, right. and he had to get the price just right, and he had to not give discounts to one and not other. And mm. He balanced that beautifully, mm. and Mel commanded the national media. And you know, um, one of the great uh, TV shows what was it called? Uh, forgotten. It was a new weekly news news program came okay. out and Hannah Gartner came out and interviewed Mel and interviewed me mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was on national TV I think that really helped yeah and Mel had very good connections in the press but they were in those days I always say you know we had over 200 reviews mm -hmm. all but two of them were totally positive okay and those which was which was great when we produced the CD-ROM mm -hmm. and sold almost as many copies zero reviews Interesting. Once we went into the digital world, we moved past that whole process. That I'm part of it is editorial, and sure. part of it is publicity, and part of it is reviewing. Mm -hmm. Nobody, people review games, okay? Yeah. And 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 that's yeah. worth more than publishing would ever dream of being worth. Yeah. That's that's worth more than all the other film and everything put together. And you know this as well as anybody, I'm sure. sure. And so when we had a CD-ROM. Um, there, there were these tech shows in Vancouver and Toronto. Okay. And I said, listen, you know, uh, you should do the Canadian Encyclopedia. It's Canadian. Are you kidding? Microsoft and some game are our sponsors. Why would we talk about the Canadian Encyclopedia? I knew 
that the encyclopedia as being a statement of what Canada is right. was lost. Huh. And any idea that somebody would review it, encourage people to buy it, mm-hmm. was gone. And how do you how do you advertise online? Well, you do it. Uh, I learned how to do it early on mm-hmm. with, with Google and keywords and all right. kinds of tricks. That I had yeah. a full time guy who was uh, uh, you know in charge of that and did wonderful things for our how many views you get for and sure. all the rest of that. Yeah. But that's different from somebody in a respected newspaper who's reviewed books for twenty years saying, mm-hmm. "Yeah, you ought to get this." which is what they did with the encyclopedia, right? Right. So Mel was so successful at that. And so he did a national tour, but he only did the top spots. Okay. And I did a national tour. It took me six weeks or something. And oh, I wow. went to, uh, you know, Halifax and mm-hmm. St. John and uh, St. John's Newfoundland. And um, I had a I had a blast. That sounds uh, fun. Doing, doing that, you know. Yeah. But I learned never... <laughs> To get tricked into doing a trivia contest, I'm terrible at oh. that. People think I know stuff, <laughs> right. right? You know, and then I just <laughs> and I I got stuck uh, in Halifax, and after that I said no, no, uh, no, I'm not doing trivia. I'll talk about these. I'll answer questions. You you, you name it, but I wouldn't do. Uh, um, I've got a fair knowledge about things, but you you can't. You never know. You can't. No, you that's know. uh. That's interesting, though. They're trying to stick the... Oh, you edited the encyclopedia. Let's see how much you know. Like, yeah. You know, when I was in Halifax, somebody phoned it in and said to, to me, um, you know, uh, what uh, species of fish is a, mm-hmm. is a mackerel? And I said, tuna. He said, oh, he said, he slammed the phone down. <laughs> I thought, I'm, I'm going to kneel this, you know. <laughs> so the next person phones in and says, there was a murder committed in Cape Breton in 1934, and he, and he names the person, was convicted of that murder, but he was wrongfully committed. Who really committed that murder? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you call yourself an encyclopedist, <laughs> and he slammed the phone down no. on me. So I thought, that's it. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's doing bizarre. that again. Where, that, where were you where people were just calling in like that? Well, on these phone the radio? shows. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, the radio phone and that's shows. That's hilarious. They're still on, eh? They still have them. I don't listen to radio much anymore. No, but me neither. They, uh, you know, they, uh, it's like all the people who phone in on the sports shows. Oh, God. You know? you, you yeah, know. yeah. Yeah, fire that bum, you know. Yeah. They should have traded or whatever. <laughs> Oh yeah, everybody's an expert on one thing, right? The one right big thing that they are, you know. And when they come from a place of emotion, especially when it comes to sports, I find like, yeah. Do you listen to much sports talk radio at all? Or? You know, I do because I think I listen to this. Um, uh, my, uh, I read the Athletic. Okay. And and I listen to Satellite. Okay. Because it's not so. You can't listen to local because they're all owned by the local team. And nobody tells the truth about anything, right? Right, like Chad, so like, for sure. So I, and I like to see, because I'm interested in sports about how do you build a team and how do you put it together yeah. and how do you balance all these things and, and analyze the, all, what mistakes are made right. and why are so many teams so bad? So, so bad. I have all, the, so, I, so I, I do listen, I have to say. Okay, no, I was just curious. It's, yeah, uh, it's a hobby. Yeah, totally, yeah. Well, yeah. You're, you're, is it true that, uh, as we go off here on a tangent that Harold Ballard is not in the Canadian Encyclopedia yeah I was fused <laughs> really eh? <laughs> well he might be now but he I might be now. Oh, not under your... he ruined my Leafs yeah no <laughs> he kidding. traded Lanny McDonald <laughs> that's oh man and you said you were there in 51 yep when they won the cup Bill Barocco scored his goal yeah wow yeah the lady I call my granny who was the woman who adopted me mm-hmm. and um, she would take me to the hockey games and she'd get me in uh, on mm-hmm. her seat and I'll never forget because I loved this guy, Bill Barocco, and yeah. I wrote down the number five and I said, who is he? And uh, and he 
scored the goal, right. and then he was killed uh, in a plane, plane crash. crash. Yeah. And so every sport I've ever played, I always took number five, and it's oh, my okay. sacred number to this day. And uh, and unfortunately, it's sort of like the true cross. There's so many people who say they were there that they probably think I'm making this right. up, <laughs> you know. And I have no proof that I was actually there except the vivid memory of it. Wow. Yeah. So he scored that goal, they won the cup, and then that he, was his last game? He went on a fishing right. trip in the um, in the summertime, mm-hmm. and they didn't find his uh, plane mm-hmm. uh, for nine years. And they, of course, there was just a skeleton in it uh, with, with the pilot. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, he was in the densest bush in northern Ontario, you know. Huh. It's really... Uh, so... Talk, talk about tragic, eh? He well, scored, yeah. Scored the winning goal in overtime to win the cup and died. Damn. I, it, that was a profound experience for me as a kid. Was it, eh? Like, yeah. Was that like a big deal at the time? It was huge. Yeah. Huge deal. It was front page news. Mm. And for a little kid, mm. you know, seven, um, and then having been there and seen that goal wow. and loving the Leafs and, and him being my favorite player... I think it might have been my first you know, little premonition of death. Yeah, that, you got right. Oh, wait a second here. <laughs> I thought we lived forever. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no. So, yeah. So that, it was a big deal. Yeah. A formative thing. Yeah. yeah. So you came to Edmonton for the job in 1980? Yes, okay. That's correct, yeah. What a year to come to Edmonton if we're talking hockey, right? Oh, like that was the beginning God. of the... I was slightly resentful. How is it the Leafs haven't won the cup for a hundred years? Right. And uh, and and you didn't even have to draft Wayne Gretzky, but oh, Mel right. Hurdig got great seats. Oh nice. And I got to go and to see Messier or Coffee pick up the puck mm-hmm. in their zone and head out of there, it was spellbinding. Yeah. And so I really grew to love that team as well well you yeah. had to because at least we're nowhere in those <laughs> nowhere days near. you know yeah. and uh, and of course Gretzky was a, a, a huge part of it but there was uh, mm-hmm. and they just they thought Edmonton thought they were going to win the cup forever right yeah that's how I Be- think that's how it felt for yeah. sure it was it was like, four four years in a row, and then they missed one yeah, with Calgary, for sure. and then Gretzky left, and Messier won right another one, right? Right. It was really it was five and seven years, but it was like yeah eight or nine years of just yeah. I see Messier's got an, a memoir out. I saw it in the bookstore oh, really? today. Yeah. Did you think about picking it up? Think about buying it? I I I read almost everything online, so I'm I I might yeah I might for and, sure. You know I don't think it's going to be a literary memoir but no. uh, I've always thought he was a straight shooter and uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, so he, he might have something to say that's not just cliches you know could be I mean he was a pretty strong leader in his way apparently he was <gasps> like brutal he defines that eh right As that I think... kind of leader yeah well I went to the New York Rangers right and it was at the end of his career mm-hmm. and apparently like he practically dragged them by the nose through, right through, to that 94 to... cup right yeah yeah. He, didn't he call it in the press conference? Yes, too? he did. We're gonna win. Yeah, and and told his teammates, "You better win." Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. We've got to yeah. take that back to the dressing. Because he was a great player. He was, uh, yeah. you know. But uh, we, I, we lived in a building, and Glenn Anderson oh, wow. lived in the building, and he was a flaky guy, and he used to say hello. And <laughs> right. my wife went into the sauna, and he was in there one day, <laughs> and uh, he was she was sitting there, and he said, uh, "Why didn't you turn the sauna on?" <laughs> So she, you know, what, what? So oh, she really? Went, she turned the song off. He's just kind of spaced out. In <laughs> yeah, there. yeah, he was. And so, so Correct. we, he'd bring the cup after they'd win it. He'd wow. bring it into our building and everybody got to, but drink out of it, but to, you know, caress it. I never got wow. that close to the Stanley Cup before. And uh, he had some crazy parties. In, in oh, my house, You know, so those guys were, they were. They went hard. They were, they did. 
Yeah. They were, you know what always struck me was those those years that they won the cup at home and they would let fans on the ice to celebrate. Oh, can you imagine now? You could not, not even not even COVID, but I mean, geez. just yeah. I think I that know. stopped not long after the Oilers did it. Yeah, because that's insanity. Were they? I don't think they were the first to actually carry it around, though. Were they? I think that it started before they started it. Yeah, because they just that that they never used to do that in my day. No, oh, really. Just, oh no, they just wheel it out, and the captain would you know they, they have their picture taken around right. it, and that was it. But to, to carry, I think I think it's one of the greatest things about the celebration oh. is passing the cup to one to another, and how they've got it worked out, who, the priorities of it. Yes. And stuff. it's great. It is so great. Like yeah. I, I've seen, I've seen, like I happened to watch when the Raptors won that year, and I was struck by how. Yeah different it was how oh. they didn't really seem to care no no they and they don't stand and shake hands with one another the hockey's superior in all those ways i think For but sure. is mcdavid ever going to be able to lift the cup up i'll say yes okay. i'm still optimistic okay what about you <laughs> i just think it's too hard to build a team and if you got behind on this and salary mm. cap and everything right uh he might have to demand a trade to get one i don't know, you it's, know. it's possible it's possible but he's so special I, he's, to me, he's the best ever, and I and I've, I watched Bobby Orr. He was always my best ever, even over Gretzky and so on. And he's uh, and now uh, now I have never seen. I think only maybe Pavel Bure in his two best years sure. looked a bit like McDavid. Mm-hmm. And I was I don't know you wouldn't remember Gilbert Perrault played no. for the Buffalo Sabers, and for about one or two years he had that speed and that ability. Sure. McDavid's got it every game. Every game, you know. every every other shift. Yes, and there's nights yeah. when he's doing it every every yeah. chance he gets. Yeah, yeah. He's I, special. I'm glad you said that because I said that to somebody and they said, "Well, it's it's Gretzky because they rewrote the rule book and they re they changed the way they defended when the, to 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 move with Gretzky." Whereas McDavid is just individually superior. Oh. Gretzky reshaped the game. I don't know because I wasn't alive really. Yeah. To me, McDavid is the best. You just. I have the privilege of yeah. being in there many nights with yeah. my work, and it's yeah, like and see it. Just watch that guy. I know it's not. I, I have a my prejudice in sports, and my a lot of my friends disagree. I like playmakers. Uh-huh. I don't care if it's football, baseball, or hockey. Right. And it's not the grinders or whatever. Yeah, you need all those guys to win, but mm. I look <laughs> who can make a play, who can score the goal, mm. and uh, nobody nobody beats him. No, that. I, I just uh, and I'd love to see him uh, play for Canada. Yeah, but it doesn't look good right now. Are they not going to send NHL players now to the NHL? Beijing. The problem is if you get hurt, and the oh. NHL says we're not paying you if you get hurt. Right. And so they, the the IOC is going to have to come up with the money mm. to say if you get hurt, we'll pay you. And if they don't do that, the players aren't going. Right. I can't say I blame them for that. No. You know. To me, it just it's hardly worth it. For I don't think it means the same to them to to, to go play in the Olympics. I think it means a lot. Yeah. I th- and McDavid desperately wants to do it. Hmm. You know, and Crosby's been there and he wants to go back. True. And, you know, I'm not sure we could win it. I mean, this, hmm. I mean, well, Austin Matthews is probably the second best player in the league right now. You think? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, he's American and there's, yeah. and we don't, who's going to be our goalie? Good question. You know, with Flurry? Or is he passed? Man, I would think he'd be past it, you know. Meanwhile, Price? the Leafs have got the best goalie in the league. Jack Campbell, he's got the best record, period, right. save percentage. And he's oh, American. He's American. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, that's a great... Who is the who is Canada's goalie? Is I don't Price know. back from his rehab? No. No, and not till the end of December, apparently. Huh. That's so, interesting. Yeah. 
Because he is a great goalie, as he showed in the playoffs last year. Right. Of course, he can still do it. Right. But he's on drugs and has to clean himself up. It's sad, right. eh? Is that what it was, drugs? Yeah. yeah. And finally, yeah, he finally admitted it. Huh. Yeah. And nowadays, you say, well, if, especially if you're a tennis player, well, yeah, I'm having some mental difficulties, right. you know. <laughs> because of... Get over it, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can skate like that and you got mental difficulties. Yeah, yeah. Get on with it, buddy. <laughs> I have mental difficulties yeah, too, by the yeah, way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I go to my job every day, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. But I think that, yeah. uh, but he finally admitted, and I think it's yeah. right to do that. I think you have to, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that can even affect someone like him, you know. It's too bad, but... Uh, but thinking about, you know, 98 in Japan, 2002 in Salt Lake, yeah. 06 was a bust, I guess. But yeah. those those were those were great moments in Canada hockey. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And they had to fight for them. Yeah. They weren't, it was, it's not given to mm. us in any stretch. The Russians, fortunately, don't <laughs> seem to know what a team is. Uh, I mean, they've got man for man, fabulous players. Always, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, was I watching some team, some Radulov or something? I can't remember oh, yeah. what. The, the Orders played them two nights ago, and this guy was dominant. Well, who was that? Yeah, uh, I've forgotten his name. Like he was on Minnesota. Yes, big, a really big guy, and he just yeah, he, I know he had a night. He yeah, had a great night that I night. know. I and so if he does that against Canada in the Olympics, that <laughs> right. won't be good. But you know, could be trouble. But yeah, you're right. They often don't. Canada pulls together in those mm-hmm. moments, right? But I think the greatest defenseman in the league right now and for the next 10 years is Mahar, and he's Canadian. Oh, man. So is he's, he Canadian? Yeah. That kid in Colorado. Yeah. yeah. He skates. He's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. And he might break the goal-scoring record this year, actually. Coffee's... If oh, he, for defenseman. keeps it up, yeah. Wow. That's great to see. Yeah. He came out of college, right? He did yeah. three or four years and then... I know. Hit, but yeah. He, <laughs> I think one or two passed on him. That was a mistake. He's, Big time. He's brilliant. But yeah. you never know, right? Especially with defensemen, they say. So yeah, for sure. Know. They take longer to mature. Is the, the wisdom? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so <it's>, <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, we're not all McDavid in our daily life. No, I that's guess, true. Right? Yeah. 2010 in Vancouver. I should have said as well. That was like that was fabulous. That was the moment. Yeah, yeah. and with the women too. That's right. Yeah. Right. Was yeah. That, And there was that thing where the Americans were standing on the flag or something and they, yeah. <laughs> They're Americans. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I would be remiss, I guess, if I didn't bring up the fact that we uh, have a common uh, acquaintance with Bill Beard, a film studies professor yes. at the university. And I would just say, well, that's great that you're friends with him. What's kind of your, how did you meet Bill and and? Would you like to say a few words about him? Well, I was introduced to him, as I say, because I was new to this city. Okay. And, uh, you know, I might have been whining about not having any friends. And okay. uh, and, and this uh, library science person said, I know someone. Okay. That, and I maybe she saw something in me and she mm-hmm. saw something in him. Sure. And somehow she set up something between us and we hit it off. And, and we, we started off so well because it was at the very time the CD was invented. Okay. And uh, you've got to, you've got to, he saw that I had a really nice stereo mm. and I had a classical music collection. So okay. we have that in common. So we went out. We, we actually had to go to audio stores okay were the only place we would get these cds and so we'd go in now bill's a bargainer and i'm okay. li- uh, my f- my friends in Toronto call me list price marsh i just pay what's what it's ever <laughs> there funny. and he's always you know bargaining and stuff so we had conflicting interests at that point and then he would say to me you need that 
you have to have that. And he gave me the most fabulous advice. He introduced me. And I said, remember him saying something wonderful to me one time. God, you know, I wish that I could come to classical music knew the way that you are now. I knew classical music, but nothing like his depth. And he saw my excitement and that he could mm. introduce me to an op opera by Verdi that I'd never heard before. So we, we clicked there, and then I just tried to attach on mm. and learn about film from him. Right. And particularly, when he found out that I had an interest, but not a really a knowledge, about... Um, Japanese movies. Okay. He introduced me to Ozu, who's oh. my favorite, and Tokyo Story. I would never have known about it if Bill said you. And when Bill said I had to watch something, you, I you I did it, it, you know. <laughs> and um and so and I also Mizuguchi and all that great oh, yeah. group, you know. And as I ex said, my experience going to see uh, Kurosawa with him. So we shared that and mm. spent quite a lot of time together. And then discovered a common interest in hockey as well. So that mm. kind of, you know. I'm not seeing as much of him, of course, now. He's near the end of his career at the university. Okay. And we've had this damn pandemic. Right. You know, so it's just not, you know, walk your, we used to walk our dogs together right. and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I always just imagined that he must be a wonderful teacher because he was to me. Mm -hmm. you know and he's got a lovely voice i always think that's underestimated absolutely see i'm worried about my voice you know reading this audio oh, book, but i you know so i'm kind of thinking uh, about but it. you know who, who hears their own voice you know i don't think you ever do do you no you that's know. interesting you know even if you tape it it's still a distant thing and it's still know. however the microphone processed it all that, of that you know? yeah it's yeah. right and then it's feeding back through your yeah. your own self-consciousness or whatever but that, what about digital technology can you say well i'd rather be more of a baritone yeah totally, <laughs> you yeah, know i like a little more you know echo in my voice or, for sure although uh my publisher uh lorene told me that you can change pitch with uh you can change the sure you could you know w uh, without it uh change speeds without changing pitch change speeds without changing pitch that's, that's interesting because I'm, my fear is going too fast. And she said, we, we can slow it down. And I said, well, won't that... We used to do that on tape. Yeah, for sure. It would go like this, right. you know. So uh, if she's right about that, that would okay. be... She knows a lot about audiobooks, so I'm hoping... You, uh, I guess it would just be some kind of formula that as fast as you went, they would know what the pitch change would be and just... Yeah, write an algorithm. Write <laughs> yeah, an algorithm. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So. That's interesting what you said about Bill, Professor Beard, because... He opened my eyes to Ozu as well. We took a whole class on Ozu. Oh, and wonderful. How lucky you were. Man, that changed my life as far as what... Yes. It's like film could just breathe oh. and just let it... You know, there's, there's moments I in... Know. Just like set the camera down, the yeah. action plays, the, the, the scene ends and the camera keeps rolling. I know. On an empty room. At that same level that he got down to all the time. And people's faces were allowed to stay still and to yeah. show emotion. And that young woman who had lost her husband in the war and sitting with the two parents. And just the... I feel the strong emotions that flowed between them mm -hmm. and... It wasn't really in words, was it, you know? No. And when the old couple's sitting on the beach later, I mean, I cry every time I see it. I can't help it. That's the power. Yeah. I've seen a couple of documentaries about how he did these things, and okay. he was very, very perfectionist. And, okay. You know, and um, what's her name, uh, the great actress? It oh, was, uh, uh, Setsuko Hara. Oh, yes. I had her as my screensaver at one oh, point. I, I just <laughs> totally fell in love with her. <laughs> totally. You yeah. know, she's not only beautiful, she was just a great actress, and she was a mysterious person. 
person. Oh, really? She didn't. She never seemed to have had an affair if it wasn't with him, and she huh. denied that. She lived out in the country, and she wouldn't take interviews, and so, get a garbo of Japan, but a much greater actress probably. You yeah. Know? So. Because she had a range where, like, yeah, she did a lot he of had movies. That- Right, like he had that kind yeah. of core group. Yes, yeah. Chishu Ryu, I think, was that guy with the, the kind of the crew cut. Oh, and the that guy was fabulous. But they could play any age. Yeah, it seemed like. yeah, they did. You know, they did. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because you would think that Professor Beard would have seen those movies dozens of times, hundreds of times. Oh, he sees and, something in them. Right, and yeah. and he would yeah. bring that fire like a you know yes a, a Tuesday afternoon I in know. November. He'd just bring that fire just yeah. purely because yeah. he loved to do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I think everybody should have a chance to learn from And I would like say that. when he introduced me to Ozu, he was virtually unknown, but there's never an international list of films uh, mm. anymore that doesn't put it first. Really? The greatest movie of all time. It's, you know, it's not the usual things. It's no. uh, Tokyo Stories. There are close to it. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten its respect and it's gotten well known. But, you know, I, had a, I have no success in introducing it to my family, my my wife has loved it when she's seen okay. it. But you know, I, I would never say one of my. You really should see this movie, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, I have a Japanese friend. She was actually born in Canada, but she was really mm. proud of her Japanese heritage. And um, she uh, said, "Jim, what you are interested in these films? What should I watch?" And I <laughs> um, and I said, "Well, Mizuguchi did a great film called The Twenty Four Ronin, and uh, and apparently both her sons fell asleep in it, and then and she, <laughs> she practically tore it to shreds before she gave it back to me. Oh, they really? were so bored by it. Right. It's you have to give you, breathe is the right word. Yeah, you have to be able to let it breathe mm-hmm. and let it come to you, and that's where the art is, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah." But I guess you have to be prepared. You have to almost know that this film is gonna is gonna be this. It's gonna yes, be slow. Yeah, yeah. You it's, have to pay attention to it, and you mm-hmm. have to be in not the right mood so much. But you have to, you know. I I've read books about, and I still okay. find things in it that I that I hadn't seen, or mm-hmm. you know. And uh, he was a kind of a strange man himself too, you know. But uh, talk about a perfectionist. And, yeah. You know, the, there's the war, and they got destroyed, and then an atomic bomb, and then they had this intermediate. As soon as the Americans left, it seemed to, that's creativity. Yeah. I mean, when you think, just the three top guys, and they weren't the only ones. There were many mm-hmm. others, uh, in Naruse and others, who were doing films Naruse. at the same time yeah. as Mizuguchi and, mm-hmm. uh, and Osu, you know. But at the same time, they did those films that, like I understand, just an assembly line. Like they pump out one a yes, year, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and they didn't go over a budget or whatever, you know. No, yeah. but they. But well, they, Kurosawa managed to. Yeah, he was. A, he was a <laughs> he burned different. things down, you know, <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Sure. You know, now, have you ever seen Life of Oharu about no. Mizuguchi? It's uh, one of his so. most fabulous, and there's a scene in it that's. It's the most heartbreaking and fabulous thing i've ever seen in my life where this woman has her son taken away from her mm. because she's a concubine and the son grows up to be the the uh, lead prince in this and she wants to see him and mm. they said no you're not allowed to even look at him and she manages to get in and she sees him at a distance it's her son mm-hmm. and she hasn't seen since he was born and the way the mizuguchi he he his great Skill, one of the I, I'm not a filmmaker, obviously. Mo- the moving camera sure. was the moving shot mm-hmm. was his masterpiece, and everybody learned from him. Apparently, mm. she she gets up and then on her knees, and she's moving and moving and moving to follow and stare at her son. And he, this shot, it's 
heartbreaking masterpiece. Right. And all it is is the camera moving in the right place and, she, and the right actress. And, and at the heart of it is the emotion of, I need to see my son. You know, it'll be the last time I see him. Damn. So, uh, so I think the Mizuguchi's up up there uh, too with uh, with Osu. Okay, I gotta dig back into that. I always I've said since I graduated, I'm gonna. But get you back gotta to, go back to it. I know, yeah. but I have. It's to. all available on. Uh, not all of it's on the Criterion uh, Channel, which I, uh, I I get a lot of use out of. Okay. And I have to say that some of the new Chinese directors, there's. Um, a, f- a fabulous movie called Long Day's Journey into Night. It's by Li Bai. Okay. He's a mainland Chinese guy. It is one of the greatest masterpieces in, in art that I have ever seen in my mm. life. He has one, what, what do you call it when you never, it's one shot? What do you, what is oh, yeah, like a one take or a long take, basically, or a one wonder. hour. Yeah, a one hour. One hour. Whoa. And nobody else is, and there's no cut, there's nothing in it, and it's, I've watched it over and over again. Right. Uh, and it's available on the Criterion, so okay. I, it's, I don't have to pay for it every time I watch yeah. it, you know. But it is a staggering a work of art wow. and to be produced in China. It right. won every award when it went to Europe and so on. So he's gotten some renown from it. Hmm. And it's not political. Okay. So it's not censored in any way. But nice. it's, uh, if you ever have a chance, and it's, it's called Long Jay's Journey in Tonight, but it has nothing to do with the o- O'Neill play. It's just a okay. mistranslation from the J- Chinese. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> okay. And then, of course, there's, um, I, I just, all of, um, uh, and, and I also got introduced to Carway Wong by Bill, and that's yeah. his greatest gift uh, next to Osu. Okay. Because Mood for Love is just a staggering masterpiece, and then there are all the others. And he's recut them, and they're all oh. being re-digitized, and so okay. they're released on the Criterion. So I've been re-watching them, oh. you know, and uh, I, I just watch some of his things over and over again. He's such a poet. One, yeah. Yeah. What was his? What was the other one? Chunking Express, yeah, for sure. That's kind of the one. And uh, yeah, and it, it's just as great a movie, I think. But Mood for Love is is just special, mm-hmm. you know. There's Chunking uh, Express has got some scenes into it, and every now and then I'll say to Louise, "Come with me, and we'll go and watch the last scene in Chunking Express." <laughs> and it's just this phenomenal scene. I can't even explain what it is about it. And and his use of music, yeah, American and, music, and and in this case, there's a, um, a a song that a pop song from England. I don't even know how he would have even known about it. It's <laughs> so perfect, right, for the ending of this movie. Uh, that it just breaks your heart that somebody yeah. can get it right. You know, the, it's all in the art, eh? It's all like you say, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Man. you can go out and shoot a bunch of stuff and just sure jam it together, you know. But <laughs> right, I've done that as well. <laughs> But there is, yeah, when you hit it, and, yeah. it, and but man, that's that's one in a million sometimes to hit, make yes. something that just hits everybody. Yeah. yeah. Or hits. Yeah. I've seen a lot of movies and nothing ends the way that that is. So to, for me. Right. Um, I mean, also, Mood for Love ends in a beautiful way, and apparently mm. he changed it at the last minute, and it's it has always been perfect mm. to me where he puts the secret, he rubs the, the secret right. that he's in love with this woman, oh, and he man. puts it in a hole, and then he fills it it's an ancient uh, right. uh, kind of legend that huh. that's how you bury a lost love and uh, and then this cello music comes in right. I'm sorry I'm right. talking about a movie no, no, that's all that's it. Bill Baird's fault yeah, you know? let's blame Bill <laughs> yeah let's blame Bill but I guess I would say learning from Bill 
he was kind of like he's this gruff guy. He's still like a a, a, yes. a very masculine. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he made it okay to be masculine, but also to like give a shit about art and to talk poetically. That's yeah. That clicked for me. With yeah, him. that's beautifully said. I really agree. Yeah, yeah, he's a special guy. Yeah, right on. Well, I'm glad to hear he's he's still teaching and still I doing all right. I think he's coming to the end. Okay. I don't know how that's going to go for him, but okay. Uh, you know how they are. They can still hang around and come back and give a talk. and Yeah, you know, for sure. Whatever. Yeah. Hey, I guess one of my regrets was he said when I graduated in 13, you know, come back and just hang out and take a class. Should've. But it just, I should have. Yeah. And, and then, but That's I got, okay. But you, you just, know, it's hard. There's reasons, but yeah. But you know what? You can do your own class. You, he gave you, and I feel, I've never taken a class in film studies other than talking to Bill, but <laughs> I can I can explore, mm-hmm. and, and I, I immediately can have a reaction to things and then really get engrossed in it. For sure. And it's, it's so, so fulfilling. It, I really think, without overstating it, film as a medium, to me, is the most one-to-one realistic with life, or it can be, you know? Would you... I, I, I don't know. Reading words is pretty close. Sure. You know? But certainly, I don't know, listening to music is okay. pretty close. Uh-huh. But film, it's in this real time. And you're mm-hmm. right, there's a kind of... Uh, I, I When I talk about education, how you learn nothing at school, the film is the, is the great art form that was created in the 20th century. Right, right. All the other ones basically existed uh, before, mm-hmm. unless there's digital things I don't know about. And it, they never mentioned it. They never mm-hmm. did anything. And it's so, it's so fulfilling to people's mm-hmm. lives. Any level you want to go. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I yes. can't get my granddaughter, uh, who's only 11, interested <laughs> in Ozu <laughs> or <laughs> her skull, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, but Harry Potter, you know. Sure. And it's powerful for her. She reads the books too, though. Good. And uh, so I think that uh, it's there's an immediacy to it. Mm-hmm. I just think, unfortunately, in my opinion, that there's just far too a few great movies far too made that could right be now f- for us to to really grip us that i got to get to the theater too yeah i think wes anderson's got a new movie that okay. might only come out in the in the movie theaters and louise and i will go and see it if that's the only place we can see it you know? right yeah he's one of the one of the greats working today right yeah and i love his animations I, yeah. you know <laughs> you know isle of dogs is just oh, precious isle of dogs i never did see that one. Oh, just rent it it's five bucks on it. i mean yeah. it's just so humorous and the fabulous mr fox is uh, almost as good but mm. anyway uh, the last one of his i remember was the one with R- rafe fains and the yeah gr- uh, budapest hotel the right. great the grand budapest hotel yeah which may as well have been a cartoon right that's true the way you're right shot and yes production he's, design. he's a perfectionist right right you could see it in mm-hmm. in him that he doesn't cut he's not disney he doesn't cut these corners and get no. sentimentalized no, he, no, no everything is worked out and he's got great actors reading I listen to them reading, you know, they doing that. I'm going to have to do that. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Hey, you're going to read this. You're going to read your book. I hope. Well, you Unless I fail at it. I don't know. They're bringing the booth here. I think it's Yeah. A, I yeah. Think it's, I think yeah. It's you can't take Jim to the booth, but you can bring the booth to Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What do you... I mean, you would maybe... I, I guess I thought you wanted some technical, like, technology info, but you... That's all looked after, so now you just yeah. want to... Yeah, how how to approach it sure. how, how, and what are what are some of the if you like tricks that people who do this for a living mm-hmm. might do i mean when i listen i don't i'm not aware of the guy reading or the woman reading the book right. uh, you know 
I don't necessarily like Juliet Stevenson is a well-known actress. I've seen her a million things, and now okay. she's reading. I'm listening to her and to the lighthouse, and I think well, I still bothers me a bit. I know who she is, mm. but uh, Virginia Woolf can't read her book, right? So, but she does it brilliantly because mm. she's such a great actress. I right. guess you know. And uh, now, fiction is different from nonfiction. True, because it's got characters. Right. You know. Right. And uh, the the great long book that I read, uh, listened to completely, uh, Proust's Alouette de Temps Perdu, was read by a British guy. Mm. But he would break into a Cockney accent when he did Lower Class, and that for us, that just uh. destroys my concentration. Yeah. For the Brits, they think that a lower class French girl would speak like a Cockney, and so he used it, practically ruined it for me. But right. I mean, other than that, he read it fairly brilliantly. You okay. Know? So that's something that bothered that's me. Interesting. How do you plan to do yours? Just the same voice the whole time? Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Okay. Now, I have people say other things, and I think if I can just give them a little bit of emphasis or whatever, right. you know. To make it true, and I have to true. ask her, I don't know. When I've got quotes around things, do I say, Quote, she said, quote, and then unquote. That's or, a good question. You know, Probably not, I would think. Maybe change your voice a little bit, you know. Yeah. As Nietzsche said. Right, it's all know, in the, yeah. Without <laughs> music, life is a waste. You know? yeah. <laughs> oh, or did Jim say that? I, I agree. Don't know. I don't know. Jim, that, you know what? I thought if I don't say quote, maybe they'll think I said it. Right. Like I'm a better writer. Right. You come off as a genius. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I guess just take your time would be all I'd say. And yeah. don't, don't be afraid to do 20 takes on a on a on a chapter. Okay, you know? don't be afraid of the takes. Okay, yeah, that's and good. Yeah. I would say stand up, right? So you're, and I don't know if you know anything about singing, and I don't pretend to, but it's all, it's from below the lungs. Up. I'm not, that, see, I'm not good at that, so that's mm. something I really have to right. uh, be careful. I read in bed to pride and practice, and I think I'm running out of breath. Well, no wonder, because right, I'm not getting a full, then my lungs aren't full, right? Right. I, it's yeah. actually, to me, it'd be very difficult, because you'd have to, you'd have to know the material pretty well and kind of see yeah. where you're going down the road. yeah. I thought what I might do, I'm not sure what form I'm going to be able to, it's all in PDF at this stage, and mm-hmm. I can't really mark, I thought I might mark it up, because I play classical guitar, I would do phrasing. That's a good idea. And then, and do these arches, Yeah. you know, and then, the, so I know if I see that arc, I need the breath, and then, and then, you know, it goes like this, and then this, so... I worked with an actor once who I watched him mark up his script, because he knew it was going to be like a voiceover, yes. over a montage, and he just... I don't think that's genius. Oh, so he marked it up in that way, yeah. where he was going to phrase it yeah. and, and pause and so on. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes um, I even rewrite, think, that sentence too long, I'll run out of breath so I break it into two, you know? Right. <laughs> so, uh, yep. and then taking breaths is a bit, I guess, you don't want to make that too obvious. I never yeah. hear them taking breaths when they're the, the professional readers. So Yeah, I wonder how that works. Like, are they, because they're not going to cut out every breath. No. So no. you almost have to. They must have a, a any yeah, yeah maybe button. I don't know. Yeah, if you have to back off the mic. Yeah, to take the breath in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she'll probably tell me but, that. I'm sure that. they'll give you some. I've really been just screwing around with just this recorder and these two mics playing guitar and singing, and I yep. realized okay, I I really can't sing, but, <laughs> <laughs> but also the mic is an instrument just the same as anything else. Oh, you know? I never thought of that. Like it's, I don't even know. Yeah. It has a pattern, right? Like a range that it's, it can see. Oh, okay. But even then, I can then go into the post production and and tweak. and, and jig it. Around. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's, it's. Still, Why do you think you can't sing? I guess it was because I never made the effort to listen, and now that okay. I'm listening, I can hear, and it's got to come, like I said, from the diaphragm up 
You really oh, I to, see. Okay. The throat is a muscle that you got to work, and then the mouth and the nose play into the resonance of the sound. It's just... It's a wonderful skill, isn't it? It that sure you, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one I'd love to... My granddaughter's coming along. Nice. Uh, she... Um, we went in uh, to put her on the merry-go-round at the at the at the Christmas fair, okay. and uh, they were playing. Uh, Michael Bublé was singing uh, oh, yeah. Jingle Bells, and okay. she said, "Oh no, not Jingle Bells!" I said, "What's wrong?" <laughs> she said, "Every class in our school had to sing it, and I had to play the xylophone oh. to every one of them because nobody else can play it." And I said, "How does it go?" And she sang all five voices for five verses for me, wow. and never skipped, and. Uh, and I've got a pretty good ear, and mm. it was it was in tune, just singing uh, like that. So I think um, she she likes to perform. And, okay. Uh, I I put her in a drama class a couple of years ago, and um, she did so well on stage that she was directing everybody, giving them their lines and wow. telling them. So I think she's got a mind for it, you know. Right. But uh, I don't know. Several of my friends, couple two in particular mm-hmm. wanted above all to be actors okay and i could see the first time i saw them that there's do you call it self-consciousness or sure. do you call it a woodenness or mm. or just just get something wrong i don't know uh, about it and neither one of them succeeded and that's all they wanted to do yeah. was to be actors you know and uh well, my one friend, he did get to act in Paul Gross's TV show, and oh. I could still see him kind of not acting, acting very well. But And it was That's too bad, rough. because in person, he was the funniest guy I ever met in my life, and he would tell stories, and he'd joke and everything, and then he'd act, you know? And then he would, he would act. Yeah. He, would, he wouldn't just... That's what I thought about it anyway. Yeah. You know, so. so I hope I don't have to do too much acting, because I have no experience at it. No. Well, that it'll be an interesting. I hope to at least hear from you after the experience. Oh, I will. I'll let yeah, you know for yeah, sure. Yeah. Do you? Uh, it's funny you mentioned about your your granddaughter, who you think has a good has an ear for. Do you think that's innate? Like that's because I don't believe I personally can hear. I think it can be developed. Okay. And uh, there's a huge controversy. Uh, one of my best friends is uh, she was a Chinese tennis pro, and she came here and she was training me. And oh. she's Canada's top ranked female coach right now. Okay. And she says, in tennis, there's no such thing as talent. And I said, what do you mean there's no such thing as talent? You see <laughs> and she says, I would never choose somebody because they, I thought they had talent. Wow. I said, what do you what do you look for? She says, I only look for one thing: can they listen? Huh. And it's probably the same with music, right? Learn yeah. to listen, and you have that. Uh, because you say, well, that person's a great singer. They're talented. Right. Uh, but, uh, and there's been some research, apparently, according to my mm. friend, you know, in various fields about this. Okay. About why do people excel at certain things? And uh, those of us who can't do it think, well, I don't have the talent. Right. But like you say, maybe you didn't learn to listen or yeah. know, what. And sometimes we're not exp- to a lot of music in our schools you know that's true and um, so it's and that's too bad in my opinion I think you should be exposed to all kinds of music and now kids are only my daughter's granddaughter's only exposed to popular music which and she will never listen to classical music and and I think that and I'm not I wouldn't want her to do that exclusively but Mm -hmm. even to listen to jazz and what's going on with that you know kind of thing that's a workout and then you uh, can learn more about music itself and then before you choose the kind that you're going to do so that's a good point she loves she says you watch the voice and no i'm not a, you need a you need a course in popular culture grandma but she tells me she's always <laughs> telling me off you know that's hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know but also you, you say like 
she's exposed only to popular music, which is kind of a hellscape in a lot of ways. It it's, is. It's not, These days in particular, I think. You know. It's horrible. Yeah. And I don't mean the quality of the music, but it's the values that are that are in the music. Oh, is it? I don't know enough about it for My that, personal, yeah. yeah, like just... Yeah. But I've even, uh, maybe you could weigh in on this, like I even think, like I listened to a lot of blues music when I was younger. Yeah, me Then too. I thought, what what was I beating into my psyche for years? Like, because the blues is, is the music of... of yeah, black well, people. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I know. And always it was that, it was a lost love most yes, of the was. time. Or yeah. just, so is country music. For sure. It's nothing but lost love. Yeah. Right. So the, all of that. And even like, so, and then, yeah. is there something to that you think? If you it's a one note thing, you right. know, I was brought up on Hank Williams and I thought oh, in, in many ways he was a genius, but it was right. just, you know, your cheating heart and all that right. sort of stuff, you know. Whereas if you listen to one opera, there'll be a, a hundred mm. emotions. Right. You know, from anger and revenge and mm. deep love and resentment. and uh, I mean, so, I mean, that's the kind of, the broadening that I wish that would happen more, not necessarily mm. like one and to exclusion to the other, you know. I mean, I'm a great Leonard Cohen fan, for oh, example, right. and I still listen to his mm. music and I think he's a great poet. Mm. And um, so I feel that uh, if that's popular music, then, I, you know, I listen to it. And uh, I find some of his songs quite moving, actually. Yeah, he was a great, wasn't he? Like, he was one of the great Canadians. Yes, period. Period. Yes. As a writer and as a... There's a a creative Canadian that's not like any... He's not Bob Dylan. He's not... uh, He's Leonard Cohen from Montreal. He's a Montreal Montreal. Jew, you know? (laughs) And he was a Canadian. And uh, I have a quote from him in my book about, uh, you know... uh, I don't know what it is to be Canadian, but I just think of it as, well, we're not Americans. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. You know, yeah. that's one way to look at it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that that's, uh, yeah. He was, a, he was a great poet. I love the story about Bob Dylan saying to him, how did, how did you write that song, Hallelujah? I mean, it's a great song. How did you write that? He said, well, it took me four months. And Dylan said, I never spend more than five minutes on this song, <laughs> so I'm not a great fan of Bob Dylan's, okay. and because uh, I think that he's, you know, uh, if anybody should have won the Nobel Prize, it should have been Leonard Cohen. Yep, that's a slight Canadian resentment, I guess. No, I, I agree with that. I, I, there's moments in Dylan's career that I, I really, yeah, do, I me love. too. And some of his songs are great. Yeah, he, yeah, I know he's a genius in his own way, yeah. but also some of it was crap. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I remember I saw him uh, talking to Joan Bias and the way he treated her, you have to, you can't really forgive him, but he uh, said, what does that mean blowing in the wind? Oh, they, they just think it means something. It doesn't That's mean hilarious. anything. Yeah. It's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It's bullshit. basically what yeah. he said, but they like it. Yeah. You know, That's, ooh, they boy. think it means something, you know. But that is, okay, I think that's what pop music is, is it just kind yeah. of lays out something very simple and you yeah. project onto it. That's right. You know? Yeah, yeah, I so, uh, do you listen to rap? I mean, I, I have yeah. no ear for it, oh, okay. so I don't uh, I don't know anything about it. But it seems to be the driving force right now, does it? Yeah, there's. I mean, especially if you want to talk about. Well, I, I find like the drum, the percussion work. Oh yeah, the, stuff the, is to like, the oh, so the rhythmic part of it for yeah. sure. Yeah. But uh, it's it is also too like where the poets, I suppose, of my generation and yes. younger, that's where they reside. Okay. So I, yeah. yeah, I think maybe it gets no. It's it's a legitimate art form. Oh, oh I'm sure it is. You know. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And even a guy, like a guy like Kanye West, his albums now have become where he's he's more of like a producer or a director, and there's all yeah. these voices and all yeah. these okay. soundscapes. So yeah. it's what about Drake? I don't have much of an ear for Drake. Okay. I would say, yeah, I, there's something about him that he has a fancy house in Toronto. He must do okay. Oh, he does very well. He's a, I'm sure he's a okay. multi. Yeah, but I've never heard him. So. Oh no, he, I guess it's 
It's a, he always sounds one note to me. It's just this very okay. kind of monotone. That's what a lot of rap sounds like to me. Okay. But, okay. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> That's know. Fair enough. I really don't know. So anyway, here we are talking about all the so, arts. Talking right? about all the arts. Yeah. So. Well, I'm blown away by this record collection of yours. Anyway, this this one or two pop and three or four jazz and all the rest of it's classical. Okay. I'm I've digitized all of those. I don't know what to do with them now. Oh wow. And I've put them on my server and uh, okay. I can access them through uh, various programs. Mm-hmm. Plus I'm into streaming now. Okay. Uh, and there's a classical only feed from Germany called the Daggio and I'm really enjoying it. Okay. So I can and I can get new releases without, you know. Mm. It's just a monthly fee of 9 or 10 bucks or something like that. So Nice. And this, and you know sounds improved if you've got the right equipment. Yeah. It's pretty good sound. Okay. So you you listen to headphones or you have a stereo system? I have this is my stereo system and I've got a tube amp in there. It's made handmade in France. Those are Danish speakers that cost me 10 grand. So the, I mean it's good <laughs> it's good stuff, but, I have, but my my pride and joy is I have a pair of $6,000 headphones. <laughs> Okay. They're handmade in France. <laughs> nice. And they are exquisite and uh, hmm. very comfortable and fabulous sounding, especially for my older ears. You sure. Know. So you're an, you say you're an audiophile, I guess. Yeah. Is yeah. Sort of, yeah. Bill is too, of course. But hmm. uh, I've got other buddies who spend. One guy I know spent twenty thousand dollars on a turntable. So I said, "Oh, the scratches on the scratches are going to sound <laughs> yeah. great on that thing." <laughs> yeah, I, I understand the the obsession with the, with it, but uh, mm. I I just couldn't not get the records wrecked, dirty and scratched, right. and all the rest of it. So yeah. digital sound is fine to me. You know? Is it yeah, okay? Yeah, no, that's yeah. interesting because I maybe. Well, you tell me. Do you listen to mostly classical? Oh, oh like exclusively? Yeah, except for Leonard Cohen a bit. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you're right. There's a richness and a depth and a range there, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. no matter what you're doing, you know the right sort of symphony or opera to listen to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know a lot of it off by heart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so right it's... Uh, and I'm getting to the point where... And unfortunately, I'm kind of restricting what I listen to rather okay. than... I was a part of my life, especially when I knew Bill. I want to know that. I went, you know, what else? Mm-hmm. Barry Wright or whatever. And then I got into Wagner and other things. And now I'm kind of, mm. you know, uh, I'm, I'm even looking at certain composers that I love, like Bach, and mm. I'm listening to fewer and fewer of his pieces. Interesting. Uh, you know, and maybe getting in more depth to them. Or, okay. I don't know. So, That's fascinating. You think, well, I don't know. Aging. Would you think the opposite? Or aging, you know what you like. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's neat. I, I, I think that somehow, you know, we've talked a lot. What are your standards? What do you think is really good? And then mm. once I know that there's nothing ever, ever being written that approaches the Goldberg Variations as solo piano, <laughs> why would I listen to anything else? So sure. I'm a little bit small-minded in that way, and then I always return to it. Mm. And I'll be listening to something else and say, why am I wasting my time on that? I could be listening to this, you know. Interesting. But, uh, but the streaming is helpful to me. Okay. Because then I can, oh, try that. Oh, then it'll catch my ear and I can. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to go out and buy CDs, you know. You're pretty yep. specific what you know what you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas, 
you it's 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 a little better with the streaming you can listen to a variety of things so for sure streaming has been i mean as i understand it it's it's totally killed like music musicians revenue yeah but i know as a consumer it's open like spot it's, do you use spotify too or no i don't okay. use spotify yeah you just use this other service you're talking yeah it's about? just a strictly classical service okay yeah, it's, it's my taste yeah fair enough yeah, yeah. spotify though has showed me things that oh, I, like yeah. world music and so on sure world yeah, yeah or even yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Things that I just never would have ever. Yeah, I should get more into that. Yeah, it's a, if you I want. hear Japanese drumming and I just think, well, why don't I listen to this? What's yeah, going on? This totally. is fabulous music, you know. Totally. And I like Indian music. I went okay. to see Ravi Shankar live. Oh, nice. I think, and the complexity of it, and mm-hmm. the, you know, and the soundscape that they create. So that's uh, that's true. I should open my mind again. I'm sure of it. You know? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> or there's that. So the, they don't want to have to watch Harry Potter. Okay. Okay. Know? No. Yeah. Although Harry Potter was important in some ways, right? It taught kids something didn't it <laughs> like, like what yeah. the argument i've heard is that well no it's it's really i i can't even it's a recycled oh, okay i think yeah you don't you're not a fan of it not fond of it no or? was i i i no it just never interested me mm-hmm. and my granddaughter asked me uh, uh she loves star wars and she said do you love it and i i'm honest with her no it's it's just this simplistic good and evil right. uh you know and there's no complexity to it there's no characters that would be of any interest to me right. and so no grandpa honestly you know <laughs> yeah maybe harry potter the the lesson there is that he's got that scar he's got the touch of evil in him oh, he's got that seed okay. of darkness in oh, him i should ask my granddaughter see what she thinks she'll probably understand that right yeah that that adds depth to it doesn't know i think yeah yeah yeah. Right, but I mean, I'm sure they. But Luke Skywalker know. was just a goody goody. I mean, come on, <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I've actually got a friend who is like militantly against Disney and and mm-hmm. sort of the narratives that I they put out. And I hadn't thought much about it. And it's like, yeah. yeah, they. I mean, that's there's some corrupt stuff going on there. There is, and they're cutting all kinds of corners in the quality and so mm. on. I mean, if you read about Wes Anderson and how he makes his mm. animations, right. it's art, right, compared to what Disney does, because they're 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 bottom line driven. Right. Bottom line driven. Yeah. Right. A guy like Wes Anderson, he's an independent and he gets support from his actors and so on. And right. So he makes, his works will last. His, right. I think, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, just to maybe kind of let us down gently, if uh, we yeah. could circle back to the encyclopedia yes. and you were just saying bottom line driven, I guess how much how much pressure was there on you in those days to, to make good on the money that was given to you or, and how much freedom did you have? I had total freedom. Mm. I never felt that it was my responsibility and I, it needed to be marketed and mm. it, it really was well marketed. When we got into digital um, and it was long past when Hertig was in charge of this, um, I still remember one day this young woman came into my office and she just arrived here from France and was going to U of A and she said I love your encyclopedia and what you're doing digitally but you haven't got a clue about how to market it (laughs) and so she wrote up this plan I hired her and she did this brilliant job of presenting it to schools and getting uh, Mm -hmm. we got school kids together all over Canada gathering and Mm -hmm. under a topic like democracy or whatever and told them about the online encyclopedia and its support Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, for all that and so um I never worried right. about that. I worried about the excellence of it, the quality of it, and the appeal of it, you know, and the mm-hmm. schedules. Sure. Uh, so those are those are things uh, uh, I let other people worry about. 
that's a beautiful experience to to not have to worry about marketing because now as a yeah. creative, it's you, well, I you are. I was never actually. I mean, right now I get irritated a lot, but I mean, but she said when during the encyclopedia, she never saw me worry, but it wasn't going to get done, or it was, or that it was going to go wrong, mm-hmm. or you know, I, I guess I just didn't waste energy on that, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, maybe that was one of the qualities that got me through it, you know. Totally, totally that. Yeah. Well. Thank you, James, for having me and for oh, sharing all these so stories. Oh, it's been so much fun it's talking been, to you, Patrick. It's, it's been a blast. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to reading or listening to your to your memoir, and and hopefully we can uh, get together some other time in that the future. That would be fabulous. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Great. Thank you for watching, folks. Thank you for listening to the North Bank Media Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe as well and leave a five-star review.